Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Minimalist's Private Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus. And I'm back, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yes! And together we are the minimalists. We're here with Malabama. Hi, everyone. We're here with TK Coleman. Yeah, Yo, what it do, what it is. We got the rest <laughs> of the team here in the studio as well. Jordan No More, Professor Sean. Oh, we brought David in today. We have Danny <laughs> Unknown and, of course, Emma and Jess and Podcast Sean are with us remotely. We're going to be checking in with the live chat really soon. Every Tuesday at 10 a.m. is t- typically when we do the live chat stream the live chat we interact with you we'll be getting to your questions your comments drop those questions and comments in the chat right now if you're a video subscriber to the podcast then you can check out the live stream every tuesday or most tuesdays at 10 a.m we're actually recording this today on a friday because ryan is back welcome back yeah it's so good to be back oh my god it's funny jordan wasn't clapping he must not be happy i'm so sorry man he's deaf Thumbs down. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, now he hears it. All right. His arms are selective hearing over there. Hey, Jordan, what's the uh, sound of one ear clapping, hearing applause? It's a Zen, old Zen Cohen that I've updated. (laughs) That I updated. Uh, That could be a new book, Updated Cohen's. Ears don't clap. Like deep thoughts. Ears don't clap. Ears don't clap. Yeah, <laughs> that would be a great album title. He, uh, it's, uh, yeah, you did ask him what the sound of one ear clapping was. Well, I, sound, I, 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 yeah, no, no, I know. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. It's, it's inside baseball. Yeah. <laughs> um, Ryan, you've been gone for yes. a while. You oh, were, it feels so good to be back, man. You called in last week, and yeah. now you are back in studio. That's right. How did you enjoy your uh, your time away? It was awesome, man. I mean, I love Montana. Uh, God, I am like so grateful to like have access to Montana like I do. It's freaking amazing. Not, I mean, not only we got friends and family there, but it's really not that bad of a drive. It's only 18 hours, which when we lived in Montana, everywhere you drove was like, you know, three, four, five hours. So 18 hours isn't that bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's only two days instead of like four days. Um, no, let's do. We went to Glacier twice. We went to Yellowstone, Float of the River. Mm-hmm. I had like my sister come out with uh, all her in laws and her, her partner. Um, my aunt came out with uh, my cousin, her daughter, and then my second cousins, her, my aunt's uh, uh, two granddaughters. Um, yeah, dude. I mean, it was like it was nonstop. The every day, I had to like look in the mirror and be like, "Hey, buddy, remember, like you're gonna you're gonna exhaust yourself. Like if you don't <laughs> slow down, <laughs> and it all has to do with that enneagram, man, and like realizing that I am trying to have all the fun." And it's funny because like, I don't even say anything. And like Mariah's mom, she was like, because uh, I kept anytime family would come through, I kept bringing them down to meet Mariah's mom. And she was like, oh, so where are you taking them to tomorrow? Like knowing for a fact that I was going to take them somewhere. And she would ask, is Ryan squeezing all the fun in? Like she knows me so well. <laughs> um, and it was, it was exhausting, but delightfully exhausting. It was so sad to leave Montana. But it's so funny how 
like a true deep like um like damn like i wish i could stay Mm -hmm. but as soon as we like got up on the 405 i was like oh my god i'm so glad to be back in la (laughs) it's it's really weird man so really sad to leave montana but so happy to be back in los angeles and um like i said man grateful that i i get to do any of this stuff this is awesome TK, where do you think that comes from? Because I, that resonates with me as well, mm-hmm. where there's the ebb and the flow. Like we, we, It's almost as though we are either programmed or hardwired mm-hmm. to have desires that are sometimes mutually exclusive. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's, there's this underestimated possibility to enjoy multiple things at once without contradiction, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, too much of a good thing. I mean even if it's a wonderful thing, can easily become bad. Maybe maybe one slice of chocolate cake is fine, but then if you just keep adding to it, two, three, four, at some point it's going to make you sick. And it sounds like you had just the right amount of time in Montana. So yeah. much so that by the time you got back here, you you weren't at a place where you're like, ah, oh, get me out of this place. Mm-hmm. And you weren't at a place where like you were gone too long and it was like, ah, oh, this just feels right. Mm-hmm. You know, mo- most college students, when they go home for uh holidays and so on. A lot of them, a lot of them complain because they go home and for the first like week, it's awesome. Then the second week, it's kind of tolerable. And then in that third week, it's like, (laughs) get me back to school. It's driving me mad. And it sounds like you didn't let it get to that point. No, no, it would be hard for Montana to to get there for me. It does get a little... Gets a little gray in the winters and yeah. like, yeah. It's gray for nine months. <laughs> that, that's how much he likes Montana. So it's like gray for nine months straight. And yeah. gray, Great or gray? Gray. 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 Like the color yeah. gray. It's like Seattle, yeah. but much colder. Yeah. And that's why you like it? Well, I like it because I go snowboarding a lot and you get above all that inversion. And wow. if you get outside of Missoula, it ain't gray. Like it's just Missoula is right. a valley. So yeah. like it just, it's got inversion that happens. So there, it is gray a lot of days for yeah. nine months. I mean... To say nine months straight um, uh, is 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 almost accurate, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because there are some sun. You'd, you'd be surprised how many sunny days you actually do get. But for yeah. all intents and purposes, yeah, it's pretty great for like nine months. But you get you get above it when you when you get on the mountains. So it ain't yeah. that bad, man. So and you, and you can get out of Missoula pretty easily, pretty quickly. Yeah. I I feel this quite often with this dichotomy with Bex and me, my wife, mm-hmm. and because we live apart half the time. And now that we live in the same state, we've had to force ourselves to live apart. And so it's the same thing. It's like, like last night I slept by myself in my own house. And we, for those of you who aren't caught up on the, uh, the move and everything, Bex and I moved up to Ventura County. We have a house. There's a separate little garage. It was turned into a one room little studio, like guest house. Yeah. ADU. That's what they call it. Yeah. yeah. In the California. ADU, the, the ADU. additional dwelling unit. Yeah. <laughs> For those of you uh, fans of initialisms. <laughs> Love initialisms. Yeah, not an acronym. If it was an acronym, you'd call it an ADU. Then it would be an acronym, right? I learned something new about the English language every time I'm with you, Milburn. <laughs> so with Bex and I, we force ourselves because it makes that so here's maybe what I think TK was getting at. With Montana, you probably enjoy it more because you're not there 100% of the time. So when you do go there, you're like, I want mm. to go here. I want to go. But whenever we spend all of our time subsumed by something, mm-hmm. we inevitably, we don't have to, but we tend to take it for granted. Yeah. Mm. As opposed to looking forward. And, and so like with Bex, like I'm looking forward to reuniting with her, even though we're you know, a hundred feet away or mm-hmm. whatever it is. 
from each other. Like we don't see each other during those times. We do that intentionally. She sent me a text last night. She said, I'm grateful that I get to miss you. Mm-hmm. That's so good. Mm-hmm. How good is that? Yeah. I think I experienced that with the move. You know, if, if I were still in Charleston and I had the expectation that that's where I'm going to be for the next five years, my level of appreciation for the relationships and the routines there wouldn't be as high as it became the moment I knew that I was moving away. There, there's something about knowing that you might say goodbye to it or knowing that it's not permanent. Mm-hmm. Nothing is permanent, but right. there are moments where we can actually realize that a little bit more easily and it just makes you appreciate it more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's easy to take, take things for granted for sure. You know, that old cliche, you don't, you don't miss it till it's gone. I mean, it's a cliche for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's uh, tune into our patrons. Yeah. Shout out Simpletons. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm taking a look at the at the live chat right now. Ooh, there's a you're frozen on my screen, Ryan. Oh no. I'm gonna get into your questions, your comments, your smart remarks. We'll all be answering those here right now. Shout out to all the patrons. Thank you for your support. It keeps yes. our podcast 100 percent advertisement free because say it with me, y'all. Advertisement suck. suck. Unless it's Burger King. Fired. <laughs> 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 Leave that out, Professor Sean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. We got, uh, let's see what people are saying. Oh, Bex is in the chat. Mm-hmm. He says, I'm hot. Mm-hmm. That's very nice of you, Bex. <laughs> What's up, Bex? <laughs> Why is she so hot? She should turn the AC up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought she was saying you, Josh. She hot. was. Yeah, she oh, was. She was calling she Josh. Josh was hot. Josh hot. Yeah. Oh, he is hot. Look at him. <laughs> He's almost sweating. warm in here. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen him glisten like this in a while. Everyone's saying, welcome back, Ryan. Oh, thanks. Welcome back, man. We so hope you enjoyed back. your ta- time off. Oh. Yada, yada, yada. Yada, yada, There was some yada. conspiracy theory starting to develop. About Best hair out of the three. Yada, yada, yada. <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea what that did to my psyche. When that poll went out. Oh yeah. So (laughs) now I'm like, I have to, now I have to perform. So for people who are not aware and maybe Jordan, you can do this in post-production since we're going through the Patreon live chat right now, drop your questions and comments in there. We'll get to them in a second. But Jess each week, our, our social media manager, she posts three different polls that professor Sean and I come up with based on the, the, contents of the episode mm-hmm. right and so usually it's like what's your favorite minimal maxim from this week mm-hmm. and then like someone talked about hair somewhere i don't remember when and so jess posted the the poll is it who has the best hair is it is it jfm is it ryan is it tk with the mj baldy <laughs> and here's the thing i think he split the election like ross perot i'm, oh, I'm saying i would have won if it wasn't for tk if it wasn't for ross perot over mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. all the elections that have been split i had to be the ross perot <laughs> <laughs> that's the example i guess he was the uh i'm sorry ralph nader, <laughs> I don't know ralph nader. uh or pete Buttigieg in the primaries where he was like taking all the votes away from <laughs> Biden. i don't think he hurt anyone ultimately maybe not <laughs> anyway um, <laughs> we did get a question from Tori and she said, no mullet. Uh, I, I thought for sure this time, <laughs> oh, then you really take the poll. You know what I did? I actually got a, I, uh, have a hat and if I put my hair right, it looks like I have a mullet. Oh, oh my gosh. Nice. I've been oh, trying man. that out. People aren't looking at me too weird, but that was also in Missoula. The mullets just are, I mean, 
it's already been done at this way. It's not weird anymore. It's not strange. Like, right. so if you did it, it would just be a haircut. Right. Now. It would just be strange for me. <laughs> yeah. It would be strange to one person. Yeah. Well, or to someone who wasn't used to see it. I, last night, um, I had, I had been, cause we hadn't recorded a podcast in a week and a half. I hadn't shaved. So mm. I had like a, a full beard and I, <laughs> full beard. Well, it's blonde. Josh looks like right, a mountain right, man. Right. It, it does not like yours, but I had, it was, a, it was a, a big beard. And, but I, my wife hates goatees, so I totally just shaved a goatee. <laughs> oh, yes, dude. <laughs> Did you do chin straps too? No, oh, no, that'd no. Be good. And you should have seen the look on her face. It was disgust, <laughs> but also like a a um a horror in a way, like a shock, like, oh no, what a, who are you? <laughs> like like uh, um a look of like, yeah, oh, oh my god, what have you done? And then she's accepting the fact, like, oh shit, like I have to be with that face now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like she would married an axe murderer whore. <laughs> yes, it was, I think she would prefer that to a goatee. <laughs> like, get over the whole. I mean, as long as you know, we don't keep the bodies in the house. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. And the, keep the goatee off your face. We're fine. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and, and so what, my point is, like, th- those are sort of our our preferences mm-hmm. uh, come out, and it'd be perfectly fine. She'd be within her bounds to be like, hey, I'm not going. It's not giving me an ultimatum. It's yeah. simply a boundary. Hey, I'm not going to date someone, be with someone, live with someone, or have sex with someone who has these features, mm. and that'd be totally fine. She, but uh, I did it as a joke, and I, I've never. It was the first time I've ever seen that expression on her face. And <laughs> so she saw something new on me, uh-huh. and simultaneously I saw something brand new on her. And I think the same thing would happen with you, Ryan, if you if I had a mullet, showed up with a mullet. <laughs> yeah. First, well, Mariah would be like. What are you, yeah. What are you doing? And you come in here and we'd be like, oh, wow. Okay. I mean, I, for me, I'd be like, oh, cool. That's awesome. You do whatever you want to do. Um, but I, I think it'd be shocking. It wouldn't be as shocking, though, as if you shaved your head. Though. Right. Remember I wanted to do the Macklemore? Yes. During our tour in 2014? <laughs> yes. That's the other haircut I was, like, really wanting to do. Because, again, like, it just makes me feel uncomfortable to, like, have all that shaven underneath. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Hey, so one haircut I'm thinking about. What doing. do you think about doing? I'm thinking about dreads, man. Get out. No do it. joke, bro. Let's do it. I'm thinking about it. That's dude, we should, do we, it. We should take a vote. Y'all want me to get dreads? It'll take a long time. It'll take like seven, eight months. Yes. Dread it up. Yeah. I to, think to get the afro up. My yeah. personal opinion is dreads almost always look awful. Almost always. <laughs> uh and and so you can do whatever you want, but you look but Perfectly. I will hate you. I, I, I won't love you anymore. No, I think you could pull dreads off. And I, yeah. Wait, you, you can't you think seen, of one person that you think looks as long good as with dreads? As long as they're well kept. I mean, have you seen Jay-Z's? It look, he looks like some. No, but wrong. you can't pick Jay-Z as the He's example. got dreads? <laughs> I haven't <laughs> seen him lately. Yeah, yeah, he's got dreads now. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, yeah. <laughs> I feel like Jordan, you need to put a picture up of Jay-Z with dreads. So when hey, I go and watch this later, I can. Is there a filter <laughs> that can, that can like make me look like I have dreads so that I can oh, yes. test it out? Of course. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to try definitely, that. First. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> All right. Let's get into this episode. Y'all we're going to be talking <sighs> yeah, about anger yeah. today. If you have so any more mad. questions, drop them in the chat. We'll get to them uh, later in the episode. Malabam, will you take my computer from me? Set it on top of my bag over there. Yeah, we had some questions about anger, but before we get into our questions, our callers and our social media questions today, 
Let's talk about why I got angry at TK last week. <laughs> Tell him why you mad, son. <laughs> oh, you big mad. <laughs> I just want a button that says that whenever Josh goes on a rant. Like, tell him why you mad, son. <laughs> Was it because TK used Siri's voice and you were offended? <laughs> <laughs> Before we started recording this, we were talking about cultural appropriation. and that I told Mallory she had to stop doing robot voice impressions because that's my culture. Right. But uh, Josh is a robot. <laughs> I built him. <laughs> and I was in the fifth grade. <laughs> I just slowly been upgrading him. <laughs> My processor can't handle this anymore. So I got mad at TK last week because we were recording the podcast. Ryan was gone. So this is episode 355. We were recording. Uh, brought my wife in here to record it. We're all here. TK shows up. He's sick. And he's snot running down his no face. No way. He's so <laughs> he's, sick. He's exaggerating about the optics a little <laughs> no, bit. No, I, I have it on film. <laughs> he's making it like I walked in with like snot running down my face. It's called hyperbole. <laughs> <laughs> I can confirm that his voice was so distorted it changed his audio levels. Oh, wow. I did have to Dang. sneak you a few tissues like Dang. come up from yeah, under the true. table so, so I wouldn't no, get on no, camera. No, I, I was sick. No, do not. <laughs> so didn't kick him out. Here's the thing. Like, we were all here and we had already rescheduled from the day before. Yeah. And so I was like, TK, like, I went downstairs. Like, Why didn't you just tell me? We would have rescheduled the whole thing. Like, mm -hmm. I don't want you getting everyone sick. He did end up getting me sick. He got Professor Sean sick as well. Oh, no. And look, when I started crying, he slammed me against the wall. He was like, you think these tears are going to affect me? <laughs> <laughs> what, was it just like a cold? He's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. And, and um, it was a lesson because I was upset after because he was like, hey, man, let's go ahead and try and record it. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, we're all already here. Let's go ahead and give it a shot. And I was mad afterward because mm. by the end of it, I started getting paranoid and rightfully so. Like, I knew, like, oh, we just spent three hours recording this episode. Not yeah. this far from Same him. room, no air. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. We, we had to turn the air filter off, the air conditioning off. We had to close the windows. And and so, yeah. man, I was, I was angry. Yeah. But I didn't, I just want to be clear. I didn't let it manifest into rage. In fact, we came back afterward and I apologized to everyone. I said, hey, everyone, I apologize. If I had to do that over, I would have done it differently. I would have just rescheduled this. We would have done it a different day. Mm -hmm. Now, I did check with everyone in the room. Are you okay with staying? Because yeah. if not, let's go ahead and reschedule this thing. And everyone was totally cool with it. But TK called me the next day and he was like, I just want to say, I'm sorry, man. This is the first, this is the first group of people I've ever worked with where I felt like it was okay. Like I let them down. You want to you expand on that a little bit? This is literally the first time in my professional life where I feel like I let someone down by showing up to work mm. when I was sick. Mm. I'm not going to name any names. I'm not going to name any companies. I don't want to put anybody on front street. Maybe this had a little bit to do with how the world was in pre-2020. I don't know. But where I'm from, you show up and do your job, yeah. point blank, period. Mm -hmm. That's and, how it was. And, and, and anything other than doing that is, is an excuse. Yeah. You know, and, and, and some people would even like require proof, you know, like you wake up early in the morning and you know you're feeling terrible and you benefit from like a few extra hours of sleep. And it's like, nah, you got to go to the doctor and get a doctor's note to come back with empirical evidence that you were sick. And it's like, well, what's the point of sleeping in if I got to now stress out about making an appointment, getting in a day, getting the proof and bringing yeah. it up to you on my day off? And so... I did what I was habitually conditioned to think of as virtue is I tried to have a Jordan flu game. Yeah. I said, well, 
Michael Jordan had the flu and he completely destroyed the Utah Jazz while being sick. I wonder, you know, he, I wonder um, if he got everyone on the Utah Jazz sick. <laughs> Michael Jordan had the flu and he showed up and he played and like the Jazz, so, the Utah Jazz had no answer for him. Wink, wink. Um, <laughs> you know, like you, you have your flu game, yeah, you show up and do it. Right. And you know, what? There, there are times in life where you may have to do those types of things, but it was selfish because I, 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 I put other people at risk. It wasn't like me getting up at home by myself, choosing mm. to do some things that didn't involve other people. And so, I was absolutely shocked that you would be mad in that direction. And if someone had 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 quizzed me beforehand, I would say, oh, no, nah, he probably would be pissed if I called him. Oh, I promised my mom I wouldn't use pissed anymore. Sorry, mom. Um, yeah, she actually called me about that and was like, I just don't think you have to use that word. I, I think I think there are more words you could use. I think you have a broader vocabulary than that. I just think it brings you down. And I was like, OK, mom. Oh, say, mom was say nice urinated like instead. I said, right. I said, OK, mom, I won't <laughs> use that word ever again. I just did. I'm sorry, mom. Okay. But I, I would have assumed you would have been annoyed if I would have called you on the day mm-hmm. of and been like, man, I woke up feeling bad and I was wrong. Yeah. Man, there's yeah. a few things I know Josh hates. Onions. <laughs> <laughs> Onions and black people. <laughs> What's the third one? <laughs> Onions and being around sick people. Those mm. I know for a fact Josh hates those two things. Yes. Oh, man. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so let me talk about why I was mad. And I think the team can attest to this. Like it never got above this level of tone for me i wasn't like this is yeah bs i can't believe it it was always like i realized like okay the reason i was angry Mm -hmm. after the fact especially i was angry is i was really angry at myself for two reasons one is i made an assumption that tk would know that hey we have a culture here where people show up they show up to work yeah if you're sick however we don't want to get everyone else sick and so um, if we had someone who was just calling off all the time, we don't have people call off almost ever here. And so I know that if there's something up, then there's something up. Yeah. You, know, you really have a legitimate reason mm-hmm. to not show up because mm-hmm. we wouldn't hire people who are just willy nilly calling out. It's just not what we do. So I was a bit upset with myself for just assuming he would know that. How, how self-centered of me to be like, well, I because I didn't set that expectation with him. Right. Uh, that, hey, you know, well, let's talk first if you're feeling a little sick. Let's see if we can reschedule it. Now, if it's a tour stop, it could be something different. Like the Jordan flu game, the reason that that analogy doesn't work here is he couldn't reschedule game six or whatever it was. <laughs> hey, guys, can we push this to... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, and so I was angry at that but then i was also angry with my decision to stay mm. because it was ultimately up to me and i'm mm. the one who decided to stay and essentially get myself sick yes. right and it wasn't a really bad call i in fact a couple of days later went and got an iv and i think if there was anything that really positive came out of this tk it was your first experience going to get an iv to end your sickness and what was the text that you sent to me about that do you remember? Oh, shoot. I wish my phone was on. I could read it. I said, uh, now I feel even more passionate about making sure all the inner city kids become financially literate and optimize their potential for wealth because I want everybody to be able to afford this and experience it. Yeah, because uh, yeah, yes. it is a pretty, it is a privilege to be able to go buy yeah. an IV drip for sure. Yeah. A vitamin IV Absolutely. drip. Yeah. And yeah. It works. It works really, really well. Yeah. Remember the one time we tried to give 
Harding. Podcast <laughs> on an IV trip. Yeah. He wouldn't we traumatized him. It wasn't on purpose. <laughs> Wait, what happened? No. So like we went in and uh, this was this was uh, like when we first moved to L.A., we were getting ready to go on tour. So when we do that, we typically would get a vitamin drip to make sure we're feeling good and feeling healthy. So we mm-hmm. drag podcast on over. They could not find a good vein in him. He's just one of those people who has like really tiny, hard to find veins, but they poked like after the third poke, we were like, all right, Sean, you don't have to do this anymore. He's like, thanks guys. I'm leaving. <laughs> oh man, I know. So podcast, Sean, so sorry about that, <clears throat> but thanks for willing to give it a try. Really appreciate that. Wow. You know, Josh, like we said earlier about not letting the anger turn into rage. And that is, um, man, that's powerful. Cause like I very much, um, I dude, it goes to rage sometimes for me now. Now, my rage at 40 versus my rage at 30 is very different because when I rage at 40, um, it's not punching holes in the wall or, you know, breaking my pinky because I punched a cement block. I mean, that's how I used to rage, like, you know, way back in the day. You went from rage against the machine to rage against the washing machine. But I, yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Good one. Clutch, man. Clutch. (laughs) I wish Ella was watching this. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Long story short, man. No, that's, that's good. That's good. Because I think when the anger does start to arise within, like we do get to decide, like, how are we going to, uh, filter this? And yeah, that's, that's an important, that's, I'm going to use that from now on. Cause I, I know like last night it's fresh in my mind. Cause last night, uh, we get, we were driving back from, uh, Montana. We got home last night. Not too bad. It was like five. It was just, just before 5 PM. Somehow we didn't get like caught too much in rush, in rush hour traffic. And on the way home, we stopped and bought some hamburger meat. And I am like the worst griller. I am so bad at grilling. I don't like my dad is amazing. And like, I and he taught me everything he knows. And like, I remember every all the lessons he taught me. And I just I don't know what my problem is. You're an apostate. <laughs> yes, that's exactly <laughs> it. <laughs> Jehovah is not blessing my cooking. <laughs> <laughs> no, man. Um, I was like, I made these like b- big burgers. They were nice and like um, everything looked good. And then like we're, we go to take a bite into them and like they're just like so raw. In no, the middle. <laughs> oh. that's the worst. I just wanted to like because I had a lot to do uh, yesterday when I got home. So like it's funny for me. I rage when it's the little things that go yeah. wrong. Like, I mean, Josh could have called me and been like, hey, man, the, the studio caught on fire and uh, um, Jordan's on a cocaine bender. I don't know what to do. <laughs> and you'd be like, "Hey, I got this, bro." I'd, yeah, exactly. I would. I'd be like, "I'd be like, we got this, man. It's cool. Like, we got this." But what? But me not being able to grill. Oh my god! Mm. I was. And Mariah was like, she was like, "Honey, like, take some breaths." I'm like, mm. but it was my own fault for like, I, I wasn't, ta- I wasn't taking time to deescalate. It was like. Mm. It was something that uh, I need to look at and be like, hey, man, are you going to let this thing turn into rage or are you just going to like, you know, figure this out? You know what helps me with the anger not turning into rage? And Danny, this might be good for you. The whenever I'm at that moment, I'm at that precipice of the anger turning into some outward behavior of rage. Mm. I stop and I do at least a minute of box breathing. Mm. Mm. Box breathing is good. Yeah. So box breathing is Five seconds in. We can do it together real quick. This Let's is a it. private podcast. All right. And then hold for five seconds. And then out for five seconds. Ooh. 
and then you hold on the exhale too for five seconds and that's what makes it the box yeah this is the value of breathing exercises and meditation when you're in the moment where you're tempted to just react to a situation with rage it's very difficult to stop in that moment and say i'm just going to meditate first i'm going to do some box breathing first But when you're out of the moment, that's what practice is for, right? Practice is what you do out of the moment so that when you're in the moment, you will have new instincts you have cultivated that can preserve you during that time, right? Just like with a sport or something like if I'm in a basketball game and there's one second on the clock and I got to hit a free throw to win the game, I am what I am Mm -hmm. and I can only do what I've been prepared to do. But after the game, that's when I shoot 100 free throws, right? That's when you do it every day when there's no pressure so that when you're in the moment where there's pressure, those new instincts kick in and they can help you out. And that's the value of that stuff because between the age-old stimulus and response, there's the potential for so much space, but we don't really experience that because we don't take time outside of the heat of the moment to increase that amount of space. Yeah. I mean, Tony Robbins talks a lot about changing your state and that's what the breathing does because- Last night, if I would have done that, maybe I could have like went down a different path. But like when you have that very sharp emotion of anger or any other sharp emotion, all this, there's a narrative that forms so quickly in your head that like, um, yeah, it's very hard to interrupt it. So, you know, my narrative last night, last night was like, I freaking suck. I can't even grill. How can I call myself a man? This is so stupid. Why do we even have, I mean, like it was just like, you know, just raging and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to do a little box breathing next time and I'll report back and let you know, um, how many holes I punched in the wall. (laughs) (laughs) Try to get it down from five. I haven't punched a hole in the wall in so long. Oh my God. So, so long. Yeah. And yet it can manifest in all these tiny little ways that affect the people around us even worse than a hole punched in the wall. Right. Because it doesn't just turn into aggressive rage. Mm. There's passive aggressive rage as well. Yeah. Where it's making smart ass comments to a Mm. loved one. And all of a sudden they be get, they get battered for your expectations. Yeah. And that's what I was avoiding last week when we were recording the episode with TK and got him out of here and, and, but we were with the rest of the team still. And instead of me taking out my own anger, which I created and I am responsible for, Mm -hmm. I didn't take it out on them. I just apologized Said, Hey, look, I would have made a different decision. Can't change it now. Thank you for being here. I want you to know that I'm angry, but I'm not going to take it out on you. Yeah. This is my problem. And so if something seems off with me, it has nothing to do with you. It is merely with my own expectations and these these standards that I set that I expected TK to live up to that I didn't even let him know that I wanted him to live up to those standards. Mm -hmm. What I appreciate about you, though, is you have this really amazing balance between not taking your anger out on people, but also not allowing your sense of peace to prevent you from being straight up, straightforward about how you really feel. Right. There's a difference between punching somebody in the face because you're mad Mm -hmm. and saying, hey, man, I don't appreciate that. We can't let that happen again. And I feel like with you, there's never any guessing with you. I never, ever have to ask, are you cool? Are we good? Are you angry? Never. And and, and I, I can't say there are many people like that I have in my life. I know that if you don't like something and if you don't want something to happen again, you're going to say it right away. And it's not going to be dramatic because you're not the type of person to hold it in for two hours or 10 days. You say it right away and then it's done. Do you know who taught me about that? One of our closest friends, Colin Wright. 
Mm. One of my favorite books ever is a book of his really short. It's called Some Thoughts About Relationships. Mm -hmm. And it's just a bunch of different policies he has for relationships, intimate relationships, business relationships. It applies to any of them, friendships, family relationships. But having these policies in place, and they're adjustable policies, but the one that really stands out to me is the I will tell you policy. And in that book, in that chapter, the policy is that we want to avoid the, hey, man, is everything okay? Hey, uh, is something wrong? Yeah. Don't we do that all the time with the oh people we love? Hey, what's going on with you? Yeah. Hey, what, what's up? Yeah. And Bex and I have this policy, but I have this policy with me, with mm -hmm. everyone. Yeah. It's the I will tell you policy. If something is off, yeah. I will tell you. But telling you, we often confuse with berating you. Hey, man, That's why right. the hell would you do that? As, as opposed to like, hey, man, would you mind doing this instead? Mm -hmm. Or, hey, I really just don't like that. And being able to say that very matter of fact, but immediately has, in a way, it's how we de-escalate mm -hmm. the relationship from ever getting to one of those boiling points. Yeah. That, that's that yeah. art of nonviolent communication where you articulate a feeling without including a judgment about the person who you are assuming is making you feel that way. I can say it makes me feel, um, you know, uh, it, it makes me feel upset whatever, yeah, yeah. When, when you said that rather than, hey, you're being insensitive or you're being an idiot for yeah. saying that. You Dude, know? that, yeah, that's nonviolent communication one-on-one. It's like anytime... If you're trying to have a difficult conversation with someone, anytime you use something negative, like try to put it on yourself and then anything that you can say positive about the other person, like, hey, when you when you said that, it really hurt my feelings. And I'm only letting you know this because TK, I know you're a great human being and like you're going to take this the right way and understand like where I'm coming from. Like that's that's a, an example of like having a difficult conversation when you're angry, it's a little harder to like keep that non yeah. the nonviolent communication. But like I do that, I I mean I do that all the time now. I mean with mm -hmm. with anything, um, customer service with my you know trash collector that I had to call four times to like you know sort something out with them. It wasn't like let me talk to your manager. It was always like a hey, <laughs> let's work together on this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it works really well. Um, I I had to append a little bit that the rule of. Uh, of uh, I will tell you mm -hmm. for me because um, Mariah and I do have that policy. But when I know something is up, I do want to be like, now remember, honey, we have the, <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to tell you policy so you can tell me like what's bothering you. But I've had to append it and be like, um, it, it is the, uh, you will tell me when you're ready policy mm. instead mm. of me trying to like, cause sometimes Mariah just, you know, doesn't know how to put it in words or maybe she's like processing something herself. And yeah. here I come like interfering with that process, which, makes it worse more often than not. So, um, yeah, it's the other piece of that is like, yeah, I've got to like be patient and, um, wait until Mariah is ready to tell me something when she wants to tell me something. Yeah. Yeah. It can't be, you can't foist that responsibility onto them. You must tell me everything on my timeline. Right. However, I will say that I will tell you everything on my timeline, mm -hmm. but part of that is being really sensitive to the fact that I don't need to say everything either. Mm -hmm. So I will tell you when something is off or wrong, right? But I don't need to tell you everything. Mm -hmm. It's a difference between being honest and being transparent. I'm being honest with our podcast audience. I will never be 100% transparent with you. I'm not going to put my social security number here on the screen and say, oh, 
And just for transparency, here's mm-hmm. my social security number and my date of birth and my mother's maiden name. Mm-hmm. Got to be fully transparent with you. Mm-hmm. And we mistake being transparent, saying every thought that comes into our head. That's not what the I will tell you policy is about. It's about de-escalating. If something is wrong, if something is off in the relationship, and I know this is going to snowball a day from now, a week from now, a year from now, I might as well go ahead and stop that from happening right now, even yeah. though it's more difficult. And Ryan, mm-hmm. you said it perfectly. Like, hey, it's harder for me when I am angry. Yeah. But that's the most important time to not react. Yeah. To our, uh, based on solely based on our emotions. Amen. We talked about this a week or two ago when you weren't here, Ryan, but the one of the pithy answers was emotions make great airplane passengers, but terrible pilots. Mm-hmm. And if I were to let that anger, yes, it's welcome in the plane. In mm-hmm. fact, it can be useful, right? Mm-hmm. It tells me that something is wrong. It is a sign, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't have to let that anger drive the plane, pilot the plane that we are that we are flying in. Yeah. I think it's important to make that distinction because if we don't, all of a sudden it hops in the uh, the pilot seat and it, we just nosedive into, well, rage, outrage, yeah, um, yelling, fighting, passive aggressive words, yeah, and it and that can snowball really quickly. Yeah, uh, I've yeah, and I'll tell you, like when I let it be the pilot, like I've never, I have never felt grateful. Like I, I don't, I I don't know the last time I, you know, really got mad and like, you know, took it out on a wall. So hardcore. So stupid. Anyway. Um, but after that, it was like, uh, like I just remember feeling really embarrassed and stupid and like disappointed in myself. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just interesting because it's easy to let those emotions be the pilot. Hmm. But when we go with that ease, Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, we're always, well, at least I, I have always regretted that, like letting that emotion take over for sure. Yeah, we, we never say, unless it's performative, I mean, I, I try to think of examples yeah, right. where it makes sense sure. to deploy anger. There's always exceptions to the rule. You remember like Dame Dash would storm into record companies' offices <laughs> and yell at all the executives and he would, but he would film it. Oh. And so like, you knew there was an ulterior motive. It, it but also, even if he wasn't filming it, he had to do that, he felt, as part of his negotiation process. Mm. I don't necessarily agree with that, but that was how he felt. However, I never look back and say, I really wish I would have been more angry right. last mm, week. Yeah. I wish I would have raged more. I wish I would have yelled at people more. I wish I would have been less kind, mm. less compassionate, less considerate of others. I never mm. look back and say, Man, I I um I was just I was too nice, right? Because yes, there's a way to be nice that is unproductive, but that's not really that's not really nice. That's, that's interesting. I have looked back and, and said that. Oh, tell me about it. That I I would say that was a critical part of my journey. So I don't consider this uh an acquired virtue, but it's just my personality type that I'm slow to get irritated with people. Yeah, I can see. Right. And so I I've I've had a number of moments in life where I looked back and I said, "Oh man, I I think I would have benefited 
from getting irritated a little bit more quickly. Mm. I, I, I think I could mm. have protected my people from some unnecessary inconveniences. I think I could have been motivated to set down a harder boundary that mm. would have resulted in an easier life for everybody involved later on. But I was too nice. I was give it, giving the benefit of the doubt to someone who hadn't earned it. Mm. Um, and, and it wasn't because I was trying to be nice in the sense of saying, well, you know, I really don't trust this person, but I'm going to try really hard to be nice and, you know, override my feelings of mistrust. It was just, hey, easy time trusting, mm. easy time expecting you to do the right thing. And so th there are moments where I felt like, hey, I, I, I think, I think I, I'm, I'm a little too nice. And, and I think I have to develop the, the skill to say, hey, no, that's not appropriate. Or, hey, look, you got to earn it. Or, hey, mm -hmm. it's not going down like that. That's something that I can do now, but I've had to work for that. I've had to develop that. Yeah, I, I don't consider that being too nice for me. And we, we, so yeah. when we're saying nice, we're, we're just, we're using the word differently. Mm -hmm. I think it's totally possible to be, because I'm the opposite in terms of temperament. Yeah. Everything annoys me. Mm -hmm. And I mean, almost everything. There's a yeah. little box on the side of my house, which is pristine, and the cover on it's upside down. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And so the brand name is upside down. Otherwise, yeah. no one would ever notice. <laughs> no one else. <laughs> but that bothers me. Clearly, I saw it three months ago. I'm still thinking about it right now. <laughs> right? And, and so, but what I'm saying is I'm still nice, even though mm. Ryan annoys me, Mallory annoys me, Sean annoys me, because it's not them who annoy. I used to be less nice mm. because I thought it was them who had some innate value mm. or character trait that annoyed me. But I realized, no, it's just, Josh, you get easily annoyed. And it is my responsibility to not then escalate that annoyance into something else. Yeah. Yeah. We were just talking about this. Uh, David's, uh, Mallory's husband, his truck got stolen recently. Yeah. We, which goes to show if you work with the minimalists... <laughs> Your vehicle will get stolen. We've had. Yeah, I smell a trend going on yeah, here. We've had uh, <laughs> uh, um, three cars stolen. Um, yeah, from either employees of ours or their significant other. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's insane. Yeah, and I, so I Danny happened to him twice out of his garage. He was paying to park in a secure garage. What? And he's had two cars stolen from that garage. Hey, dude, Eesh. what if this was just our business model? <laughs> <laughs> I told him not to buy that Lambo. <laughs> Afterwards, Josh and Ryan are like, well, Danny, if you want to keep your car secure, you can pay us $200 a month. We'll make sure it's good. Sure would be a shame if something happened to that That's vehicle. Right. Accidents happen all the time, Danny. <laughs> and, now, and now Mallory's husband's truck got stolen. And mm. I thought back, I was talking to him about it this morning. I thought back to something my mom used to say to me. Um, she had a really traumatic um, incident happen to her where she was forced to have an abortion by a priest. And she said, this didn't happen to me. It happened for me. Mm. And I think about that all the time now because... I often, because if my mom could say that in that really traumatic scenario, all the things that I perceive to be as bad, what's the lesson in it? 
this happened for me. And so I go back to what we were talking about, why I got angry with you last week, PK. This didn't happen to me. This happened for me. This happened for us. And I feel like we even grew through that experience because I didn't blame TK for it. Ultimately, Mm -hmm. I took responsibility for not acting differently. And then we moved on and here we are. And it's literally in the past. It's a let go of there's no clinging to that whatsoever. Mm -hmm. By the way, this confirms a very critical part of my decision to work with you guys. Um, One of my guiding principles for relationships, business partnerships is don't just evaluate the relationship in terms of how the good times feel, but evaluate it in terms of how well you can disagree with one another. Because in every relationship, you're going to have a moment where I get angry with you, you get angry with me. What are we like during those moments? Can we disagree agreeably? Can we find a way to harmoniously coexist when we're annoying to each other? Mm-hmm. You got to have an affirmative answer to that. It's special to have a good time with someone, but it's even more special to be able to have a bad time and be able to stay connected in a meaningful way through those bad times. Yeah, it's pretty powerful, man. You walking around hating and being annoyed at everything all the time and being as pleasant as you are, Milburn. That's pretty good, man. <laughs> Yeah, right. I'm impressed. <laughs> it's, a, it's a different kind of release valve. The yeah. being nice about it is me letting go. And it's a constant letting go Yeah, because I'm picking up this annoyance. And it's not a fake nice. No, yeah. no. And so there isn't such a thing as a fake nice. Right. But that's, yeah. yeah. It's like when you see but, a fake. Yeah. It, I don't think fake nice is a bad thing, though, but we can talk about that. I, I yeah. mean, in the yeah. sense of pretending like you're not sure. mad when you are. Well, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. I, I will often say this about, uh, well, Ryan's dad, I think, is a great example of this. Ryan's dad is very nice. He's not very kind. Mm. Yeah. And I think the difference is hmm. you can be both, yeah. but you can also be simply nice without being kind. Yeah. And what I mean by that is, yes, I could go around, put a fake smile on my face, disingenuousness. Yeah. And the outward appearance is that of niceness, right? But inside I'm seething, I'm raging. The difference is that I'm constantly letting go. If I pick up that annoyance, I drop it because that is the kind thing to do. And it presents itself as my being nice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the 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 fake nice, um, when it's being used to manipulate, I think that's where, you know, when you're trying to gain someone's trust so you can like dupe them over or something. But for me, a lot of the times, like the fake, I'll be fake nice sometimes because that's who I am as a person. But in that moment, I may be raging. And so it's like, I have to do the fake nice thing in the sense of like, this is like who I truly am. So I have to like, I'm kind of pretending right now, but I'm going to like fake it until I make it because mm. me raging isn't, that's not who Ryan Nicodemus is. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, sometimes I do it to put on, you know, uh, my genuineness, you know, mm. like to, yeah, I don't know if that makes any sense or not. But to to yeah, avoid tainting it at least. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. That's true. That's let's true. get to some callers. Yeah. Yeah, y'all. Let's do this. Yep. If you have a question or comment for our podcast, give us a call 406-219-7839 or email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. Let us know that you're a private podcast subscriber so we can prioritize your message. It looks like Martina from Princeton, New Jersey has a question for us. How do you forgive yourself for wasting time on stuff? Currently, I'm in my early 30s. And even though I'm grateful that I'm learning this lesson now and changing my life, I still feel guilty 
that I wasted my 20s on buying stuff, organizing it, cleaning, rather than spending that time on things and people that actually mattered to me. Where do you want to start here, Ryan, TK? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, God, I, I try not to beat myself up, like beating, beating myself up, like, because uh, this doesn't sound like guilt. It sounds like shame to me. And uh, I think that's what shame does. Shame will um, take you out of the present moment. It'll make you feel like you're somebody who you're not. It'll make you, it will, it could make you feel guilty, I guess. But for me, it's, it's about just, I, I've never found any reason to beat myself up. But the, the, the thing that helps me the best is when I behave differently. So like for, for example, um, uh, when Ryan and I were first together, um, I definitely, um, would, ra- I mean, would rage in the sense of like, um, not being patient with her and, uh, just, just, you know, not being the best partner that I could possibly be. Um, and then after that would happen, I'd feel guilty about it. Like, wow, like why, why can't I just be compassionate towards Mariah? You know, even if I'm mad, like I should still show her compassion and I would beat myself up. So now instead of beating myself up, like I behaved like the best way to tell her sorry is to like treat her very kindly and lovingly. And like, that's what I go out of my way to do. So with this, with, with, with Martina's question here, stop, stop. I mean, I'm giving you, you're, I'm giving you permission to stop beating yourself up, but like the way you're going to feel better and like be able to forgive yourself and move past it is if your actions are now in alignment with what you truly value and what you believe, like just act in accordance to the life that you want to live and that guilt. And especially that shame, like it will start to, it will start to fade, but holding on to it. And like, I mean, it makes me think of, uh, what do they call it? Uh, uh, in the Da Vinci Code where the guy's like bashing himself, you know, like it's, it, there's like, mm-hmm. there's like, a, there's like this pra- religious practice of like hurting yourself. And somehow this is virtuous because you're causing yourself pain. I mean, this is a much smaller sample of that practice. Um, but re- regardless of how big that practice is, if you're using it, I, I don't think that's beneficial. I don't think that is ever beneficial to just cause yourself pain. That's not virtuous. Mm. It's not virtuous yeah. at all. Even even the ascetics would do that as well. They would often, when they've deprived themselves of every pleasure, mm. they started turning toward pain. You know, mm. sleeping on broken glass oh, or wow. yeah, stepping on sharp nails, and in order to maybe appreciate the natural state in a way. And I think maybe temporarily that can help someone, but that path of straight up masochism doesn't lead to a more enriched, fulfilling life the same way that hedonism doesn't. Right. This is a problem that I call the problem of the hypothetical demon, where you compare your actual past to a hypothetical past, which, if you had chosen, would have made you happier. And the problem with that is, first of all, you don't know that, because even if you had chosen the hypothetical past, there would just be another hypothetical that you could then compare that to and think, oh, I would have been happier with that. There's literally no choice Mm. you can make that won't be haunted by the hypothetical demon because the hypothetical demon can always say you could have dated a different person. You could have went to a different school. You could have moved to a different state. You could have accepted a different job and maybe you would have had even more happiness than you have now. And you have to recognize that that's an illusion. The reason you're able to look back on your past and judge it the way you are It's because you have wisdom now and that wisdom has come to you through the choices that you made at a time 
when you were working with the best information that you had. You didn't know then what you know today. And the way that you got here is by being true to who you were at the time. You can't alter that. You embrace that wisdom that you have and move forward with that. Something to make it a little bit non-academic and personal. I went home to Chicago once a few years back to celebrate a birthday. And there's a close friend that I have there and I tried to hook up with them and we texted each other back and forth a little bit and it just started to feel complicated, like we couldn't make it work. And I was like, don't worry about it, man. We'll, we'll get together. We'll get together next time. Shortly after that, he passed away. Mm. And mm. I beat myself up over that for a long time and said, ah, I made the wrong decision. I should have done that thing. Now, had I done that thing, I would have enjoyed that time with him and I'm sure I would have been happy but I don't know if I would possess the sense of urgency that I have now about making time for friends when they're in town or when I'm in town. If I would have chosen that path, I would have had a good time and I would have been thankful that I had that good time. As a result of how things have transpired now, if I got somebody that I love, I'm not going to let the opportunity pass without telling them that. If I got a chance to be with somebody, I'm not going to take for granted that I'll have that chance again tomorrow. So the wisdom that we have today is the result of the person that we become by being true to who we are at each given moment in time and then experiencing the knowledge that can only come from experience. There's always going to be a hypothetical past. Mm -hmm. You can't go back and do that. You've got to let go of what's already transpired and embrace the wisdom that you have now. By the way, to forgive is to let go to let go of future trauma that's caused mm -hmm. by clinging. Because really what you're doing with the past, the past exists mm -hmm. only in the present moment. It is always now. I know mm -hmm. that is a Hindu or Buddhist cliche at this point, but there's a hyper truth mm -hmm. within this because the past and the future both occur in the present moment. And so yeah. we're holding on, clinging to that past and it causes trauma in your future mm. as you continue to drag it into now and now and now and tomorrow's now and next week's now. And so what's happening here for Martina is she's holding on yeah. to that and it's causing trauma now. Well, how do you mm. how do you let go? You forgive. You forgive yourself. And how do you forgive yourself? Well, you might have to even apologize to yourself. Martina, I'm gonna send you a copy of our book. Love People Use Things, there's an entire section in there about apologizing to others, apologizing to yourself, and sort of the power mm. of apologizing. So if you enjoy our podcast, I think you'll enjoy the audiobook version of Love People Use Things, or if you want the book book or the ebook version, I'll be happy to send those to you as well. Joshua, like this quote, I heard Patrice Washington say, forgiveness is letting go of the idea of a better past. Mm. Mm. Dig ah. it. Yes. Because you can't relitigate that past. Mm. You can simply let it go because this didn't happen to me. As my mom said, this happened for me. Our next question is from Christina in Baltimore, Maryland. This is Christina and I'm in Baltimore, Maryland. I want to declutter my calendar to make room for the things that are really meaningful to me. The thing is, the people who are meaningful to me have events that I feel obligated to go to because I want to be there for them. Baby showers, bridal showers, bachelorette parties, and yes, even some birthday parties. I love the person, but the events take away from my free time are not really socially gratifying and often require gifts and monetary contributions. And yeah, that includes tipping the strippers at the bachelorette party. 
how do you balance showing support and joy for your loved one's milestones and still maintain a social calendar that isn't filled with obligations? Well, Ryan, you were talking about this earlier on the private podcast uh, during the intro and how while you were on vacation for a while and you felt like you wanted to do everything, you mm. wanted the fire hose of fun and mm -hmm. you wanted to do more than you could possibly do. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, and I did. I wore myself ragged. Um, it was a good lesson, though. I mean, I look, 2022 is a year where everyone wants to start traveling again. So like my whole, you know, family decided to meet me out in Montana at different points during the summer. So I wanted I said yes to it all. Yeah. And I said yes to doing all the things with them and like, I'll be your tour guide and we'll get all the fun in. And um, I don't think I got a better I don't think I got a sleep score above 60 the entire the entire five weeks there might have been like a 70 sleep score but wow. like it was bad like the entire five weeks because i was like just pushing myself pushing myself pushing myself so um yeah i mean i've had i had to learn that lesson the hard way and i'll tell you next time when i got family who all wants to come out at the same time like there are some uh some mm -hmm. uh boundaries that i have to set and there are some no's that i'm probably gonna have to say and and that's okay and and you know what when you tell someone no, like, hey, you can do it in a very nice way. So, you know, the next time you get invited to a birthday party, Christina, and you really don't want to go, you can just say, hey, happy birthday. Thanks for the invite. Not going to be able to make it. Mm -hmm. Why Why can't you come? Like, how often does someone really, ask? I know that people do ask that, but it, they don't ask it as much as we think they're going to ask it. Most of the time, people are just going to say, okay, thanks for letting me know. And they're going to move on and they're going to still be your friend. Yeah. And, um, you know, I had to, mm. I had to realize that like I could show my family Montana, uh, half of what I showed them and they still would have had an amazing time. And, um, uh, I, yeah, I, I should have said no to a few of the, we went to Glacier twice, dude. Yeah. that's uh, <laughs> We drove to Yellowstone. I think it's also that's worth crazy. noting that we each have different thresholds, right? So yes. Ryan's threshold is much higher than mine and other people have much higher thresholds than Ryan. Mm -hmm. Uh, I got a call yesterday from Brian Houston, the liver king. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he call, he hit my, on my, you know, the, I have the robo killer app. Yeah. Screens calls for telemarketers and stuff. And it says, please state your name and the purpose of this call. Yeah. And he, he goes, hey, brother, this is uh, Brian Houston, the liver king. And the purpose of this call is to dominate. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I was like, oh, wow. But then we talked for, like, you know, talk for like <laughs> 10 minutes on the phone. And I'm like. He has such an energy. It actually brought my energy level up. Yeah. Not to completely match him, but try to even get in his same stratosphere right. of energy. Mm -hmm. And I realized like, oh, this is infectious. And so the opposite is also true. Whenever I'm around people who are down and downtrodden and sad, you get that energy mm -hmm. from people, right? And you yeah. pick it up and that becomes infectious as well. Absolutely. But so what I'm saying here is understanding what your threshold is, because Christina's threshold could be closer to mine mm -hmm. and she's trying to behave like Ryan. Right. But even Ryan supersedes his threshold right. from time to time. Yep. Quite often, I'm the opposite. I'm staying way, way, way below my threshold. But even then, perhaps that is not the best thing for me because it can prevent me from reaching that discomfort zone from which I grow. Yeah. So good. You know, one thing I say is that it's incredibly hard to be honest with people when deep down inside you feel like you're lying. Mm. And many times when people struggle to say no, 
it's because even though they want to say no, they feel like a fraud. So someone invites you to a birthday party. You really don't want to go to this birthday party, but you don't have any specific plans on your calendar and you technically could go and you try to look at them in the eye and look at, look at them in the eye and you say, no, I can't go. You feel like a fraud mm-hmm. because you know that technically you could go. Right. And the truth is you just don't want to be there. But we don't struggle with that problem. Many of the same people who say no don't struggle with that problem when they have what they believe to be a compelling story about what they're saying yes to, which is why when people talk about their jobs and they say, I I can't go because I got to be at work at two o'clock. That's a story that they believe. They don't expect you to challenge them. And even if you did challenge them, they'd be offended that you dare to do so. And so they can say no with conviction and with a sense of self-honesty. And so what you have to do is you've got to realize that every no to someone is a yes to something else. And you've got to get clear with yourself about what you're saying yes to. Because if you don't have a compelling story to tell yourself about what you're saying yes to, you're always going to feel like a fraud whenever you say no. You don't have to let other people know what that story is, but you got to know what it is for yourself. You don't want to go to that birthday party, fine. But what are you going to do instead? Be deliberate, be intentional about your life, and be and own that story. And when you say no, speak with that conviction. It'll be a lot easier to do. I think one of the things we really struggle with is calendar clutter. That's what I would call it, Mm. right? Because we say yes, 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 yes. It's just innate. We we feel as though we should say yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. And we don't realize then what we are saying no to. And so saying yes adds a little chunk of clutter to your calendar. Each yes adds another bit of clutter to your calendar. And so one bit of clutter, not a big deal. But then we look back and say, oh, Hmm. why did I schedule all these things? Why did I punish my future self, which is my now self? Mm -hmm. Why did past me punish now me? (laughs) Oh, because he was what? He felt compelled to say yes to something he didn't want to say yes to. That's exactly how I felt like week three of taking. My, I'm like, why did I do this to myself? <laughs> why? <laughs> oh, man. Everywhere I go, there I am screwing myself up. <laughs> Christine, I'm going to send you a copy of our book, Essential. It's an essay collection with 150 essays, 12 different chapters. There's 12 different areas of intentional living in that book. And one of those chapters is about your priorities and how we misprioritize our way through life. I think you'll enjoy the audiobook version of Essential, or if you want the book book or the ebook version, Malabam will reach out to you, Christina, and get those to you as well. Our next question today is from Jamie. My wife and I were driving down the road, and on the side of the road, there's this beautiful Jeep Wrangler for sale. Talking with my wife, hey, that'd be fun. We should get it. Why not? And within two minutes of passing it, I had in my head, bought it, got it home. And then I just looked over at her and I go, what just happened? If we had not seen that, we wouldn't even be discussing this. It wouldn't even been on our minds, but it just popped up. And it made me think if I didn't see it, we'd be fine. And I started to think a little more about this going, okay, if it was blind, I wouldn't have seen this. I wouldn't see any of these things that I think I want. I wouldn't see myself in the morning aging I wouldn't see the gray hair. I wouldn't see these things and have some discontent with it. And uh, I just, I don't know. It was just something interesting I had thought about. And are blind people minimalist? Do they worry about shelter and food and love and music and taste? And do they not get caught up in the things that we get caught up with 
because we can see things that we don't need. Wow. Yeah. What does the Bible say, TK? If your eyes fault you, carve them out. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't it seriously say something like that? I was at a uh, meditation class last night and it was an hour and a half nature meditation. Mm. And it really appealed to all of the senses throughout, even taste. Like he would hand you a raspberry and you had like five minutes to experience how bitter it was and how sweet it was and the textures. And what I realized when you slow down, stillness is almost a, a misnomer because everything is moving. We're just moving so much faster than everything that we think of is still. But we were doing this walking meditation outside and the invitation was to see what's in motion. And it turns out that virtually everything is in motion. Everything that seems still, the trees are just swaying slightly. The light is bending on the roof, making it appear as though it's moving subtly. And so, yes, if I was blind, I wouldn't have seen any of those things. But throughout the meditation, we often are invited to close our eyes. Mm. And what does that do? It just amps up the other senses. And so a minimalist is someone who is deliberate about their consumption, but we don't consume only visually. In the world that we live in, we are often primarily visual creatures, especially as Jamie is driving with his wife and they see this Jeep they want to buy. Sure, you may have not had that impulse, but we have this segment on the podcast about impulse purchases on the private podcast where we talk about our impulses and what they do to us. And, and ultimately, our impulses blind us to the truth. Mm. And so... If you're a blind person, it doesn't mean that you wouldn't have impulses. They would just manifest differently. That's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Integrity isn't defined by the absence or presence of good and bad impulses. Mm. It's determined by how you choose to process them, how you choose to react and respond to them. And no matter what you have going on in terms of your abilities, as a human being, you will feel contradictory impulses. And in that moment, you will have to make a choice. Will I let my impulses rule over me or will I come to attention? Will I choose to be mindful? Will I choose to process in a way that creates the space to make a healthy decision? And I think, Jamie, you might not be giving yourself enough credit when you tell this story because it's not about you seeing the Jeep versus you not seeing the Jeep because even if you couldn't see, there would be some other impulse that would arise that could tempt you to do something that's unhealthy. What I love the most about your story is that you gave yourself the two minutes. You gave yourself the pause. Mm -hmm. You gave yourself the opportunity to question your decision and to ask yourself, is this what I really want? And I think that's a reflection of your inner work. And I think that's a lesson for us all that the thing that saves us is the time and energy we put into doing that kind of inner work. So when, not if, we experience impulses to do things that are unhealthy, there is a pause. Mm. There is the opportunity to process. Amen. Yeah. Man, I, you know, I think, I think this has less to do with sight and it has more to do with comparison because that's what's happening. It's like when anytime Jamie sees the gray hair, anytime he sees the car, anytime he sees, it's not the fact that he's seeing it. I mean, that, that, that can initiate this, um, this comparison thing that he, that Jamie has going on. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, 
that's really what I would look at, Jamie. It's not about whether or not you can see. It's when you are seeing, are you using that as an opportunity to appreciate something or to compare yourself to something? Because uh, what do they say? Comparison is a killer of joy. Yes. And um, yeah, I <clears throat> I think that even if you didn't have your sight, you'd still find other ways to compare <laughs> yourself to... Um, because it, it's not even to others. It's like he, when he looks in the mirror, he's con, he's comparing his current self to a better version of himself. Well, and that's the problem. Betterment right. is an illusion. Exactly. Yeah. We don't try to improve a baby, but at some point, once you're 13 years old, 18 years old, 25 years old, 40 years old, how can I improve? How can I improve my house? How can I improve myself? How can I improve my skincare routine? As opposed to the opposite, acceptance, right? Because... What Jamie is really struggling with here with the comparison is a lack of acceptance because you can see that Jeep and say, wow, what a beautiful Jeep and accept the fact that you don't own it right? and say, and then you can actually appreciate it for what it is. But as soon as I need to acquire it or change myself, now it is a type of prison because as soon as I get that, that object of my desire almost immediately becomes the object of my discontent. Mm -hmm. Now I have the monthly car payment. Now I have to pay for insurance. Now I have to worry about it getting scratched or dinged up. Now I have to worry about it getting stolen like mm -hmm. David or Danny over here. And so now I'm constantly worried about the thing mm -hmm. that I thought was supposed to bring me all this joy. It's doing the exact opposite. And then we start asking ourselves, why did I buy this in the first place? Why did I even want this stupid thing? Let me get rid of it. And then we start decluttering and we have to be careful to not reclutter. And how do you do that? Yeah. By accepting it. I don't need it to be able to appreciate. Mm. Jamie, I'd love to send you a copy of our minimalist rule book because Part of acceptance is setting up some boundaries for yourself. You can download it for free, theminimalists.com slash rulebook. Or if you want the audiobook version, you do have to pay for that one. But Jamie, won't make you pay for it. We'll send you a copy of that. My favorite audiobook that we've done, Ryan, is The Minimalist Rulebook because we read through the 16 <laughs> different rules for living with less. And you and I just did this commentary about each one and kind of invented our own new rules. It's a it's a mix between audiobook and podcast all together, two and a half hours. Yeah. TheMinimalists.com slash rulebook if you want to check that out. Let's move on to our social media questions. If you have a question for us, you can follow us on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Minimalists. Anastasia from Instagram has a question for us. What are your thoughts on anger being triggered by fear or sadness? Hmm. Anger is a funny emotion because you're never just angry. Like it's that is a surface emotion. Okay. So, um, yes, uh, fear, sadness, being misunderstood, uncertain. I mean, there are a lot of things that can create anger. So, um, I think that, you know, Anastasia is just pointing out that like, Hey, we get angry for all types of reasons. And really the question is, is like, why are we angry? And is there something that we can do about it or can't do about it? We were talking earlier, TK, on the private podcast, I was talking to you about how angry you made me last week. <laughs> you made him angry. <laughs> and then I realized in the middle of it, like, oh, it's not you who made me angry. I made me angry. Now, how did I do that? Because I had some expectations. Now, you uh, you showed up sick and then 
didn't call off, but I didn't set that expectation with you. Like, hey, don't come to the studio sick, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so my real anger, and this is an important lesson to me, my anger was at me. Whenever I am angry, I'm actually always angry at me. Dude, that's why I rage so easily. It's so it's easy to rage against myself. Mm. Yeah. It's so much because like with other people, because like I don't like I've never hit any. Well, in my adult life, I've never hit anyone out of anger. When I kid, when I was a kid, I'm sure I got into some fights. Um, but uh, but yeah, man. Um, because I would never like lash out at someone else. But when it's me, like all of a sudden, I have this permission because it's me. Like, oh, I can beat myself up. Mm. Yeah. You can't fight back, not right, against ex- yourself. Right. Exactly. I lose every time too. And I treat myself <laughs> really poorly in those moments. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yes. Because it's why? So it's what we were talking about with the previous caller, Jamie. I don't accept things. I want to change them. And we spend all of our time mm. trying to change things that we can't change and then beat ourselves up for the fact that I don't have the ability to change the things I cannot change. Mm. Mm. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's good. Man, if I could just just accept the fact that I'm a shitty griller. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I wouldn't be so mad at myself all that. Every time I grill, I I end up raging because like it's always either overcooked or undercooked. And then Mariah, oh my God, God love her. She was like, maybe we should get a meat thermometer. I'm like, <laughs> how dare you recommend something so sensible when I'm yeah. so I am a meat thermometer. <laughs> I'm a man, damn it. I don't need a meat thermometer. <laughs> You had something pithy uh, for this one. I thought maybe we could talk about it a little bit. Yeah, pithy, not pithy. Apologies to everybody. I've been saying pithy. You say whatever you want, man. (laughs) That's right, brother. Some people say tomato. (laughs) No, they don't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Josh is right. (laughs) Keep it pithy. Hey, real quick, man, what you said about acceptance. when When I used to hear that word, I struggled a lot with words like acceptance and contentment because... I used to hear like accept it as meaning, hey, pretend like you're happy about it or decree it to be a good thing. And, and, I, and I had to realize that acceptance means like you don't have to meddle with it. You don't have to mess with it. You don't have to force it into something that it is not. You can allow it to be what it is and you can simply observe it. You can simply alter the way that you look at it, the way that you react and respond to it. And, and I, I think that's an empowering way to look at acceptance. And I know that's what you're getting at. But for me, that was a really hard thing for me to learn because I, I looked at being content, accepting something as meaning like pretending that, you know, um, my mom not letting me go to that party is the same thing as going to Disneyland, you know, lying to myself. Mm. Yeah. My pithy for this one was anger is when your heart says, I feel passionate, but powerless. When I say passionate, I don't mean excited or inspired. I simply mean aroused, riled up. My feathers have been ruffled. I'm worked up. I've got a lot of energy flowing. Even things like fear and sadness, like fear is when we feel powerless or inadequate in the face of the unknown. Sadness is when we feel powerless or inadequate in the face of that which is disheartening or disappointing. And when I say that anger is... I feel passionate but powerless. It means like I'm, I'm worked up about something. I'm charged up about something. I've got a lot of energy flowing and I, and I either don't know what to do with this energy or I don't feel like I have the permission and the power to do something with it that feels right. Mm. And 
the way we have to deal with that is we have to step back and make ourselves the student of that anger. And we have to let that anger teach us. Mm. Not rule over us like a master, but let it instruct us. Because just like with friends, you've got some friends who are really good at making you laugh. And you got some friends who aren't funny. They don't make you laugh, but they help impart wisdom into your life. Your anger doesn't make you feel good. It doesn't make you laugh. But it's like that friend who tells you what you need to hear, even if it doesn't feel pleasant in the moment. And this is why I've sort of abandoned talking about emotions in terms of positive and negative emotions. Positive and negative emotions are like positive and negative numbers. It, 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 it says nothing about the quality of what we're dealing with. It, these are just labels, right? Is, is negative five a bad number? You know? <laughs> no, it, it's, it's in just... In relation to what? <laughs> yeah, it's just to the left on the number line, right? right. And, and is anger a bad emotion? Is frustration a bad emotion? We say it's bad because it feels bad, mm-hmm. meaning that it feels uncomfortable but it's actually a very useful emotion. And if you can learn how to not resent those feelings, then you can let go of the resistance that you have to the wisdom they provide. And the how-to here isn't a prescription. It's not like you can follow the four steps. First, you do 100 jumping jacks, Mm -hmm. and then you do Do a backflip. And then do some box breathing. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Five seconds. Mm -hmm. And so the reason, or the way, rather, that you change the emotion is you allow it to change by observing it because that's how you stop clinging to it Mm. it's easy for us to cling to the anger to the fear whatever else and it snowballs it gets worse and worse and worse why because i'm not observing it i'm Mm. mistaking myself for the anger instead of uh i am angry perhaps the well the more loving approach is Anger has appeared within me, right? Yeah, yeah. Because you can see, as we had uh, Dr. Susan David on the podcast, she talked about emotions aren't good or bad. They're data. Mm-hmm. And what is that data telling you? Because I think we get confused and we think we want one thing. We think we want perpetual excitement and happiness forever. Mm. That's mania. Because it continues to amp up and up and up. It's the reason that hedonism doesn't work. Because eventually you bought, you've bought your second yacht. What am I going to do with the first one now? Right? Mm. And so these things aren't actually bringing me pleasure. And you can scale that all the way down to a pair of tennis shoes. Right? Someone thinks buying the new Jordans are going to make them happier. They might be aesthetically pleasing to them. And they may even amplify the happiness that's in you. Mm-hmm. Right? but they will never make you happy. Mm. I think we have to understand that because as we cling to the idea that everything should always be exciting, I don't think we always think it through Mm. because let's say that everything was pure excitement for every waking hour of your day. Mm -hmm. That would drive you insane. Mm -hmm. And so you'd think you want that, but as soon as you got that, it'd be like the dog chasing the car. You'd have no idea what to do with it and it would probably run you over. It's manic. That's manic, man. You're out on the street directing traffic because you think you have a better way. I mean, there's plenty of people out there who are manic, and I do not envy them at all. Um, TK, the what stands out in your minimal maxim for me is the word powerless. Because I think, I'm thinking all the times I've ever been angry in my life, and it is always a feeling of not having control over something. Um, it makes me think about 
instead of uh, fostering this feeling of not having control, maybe it's more beneficial to just accept like, you know what? No, I don't have control and that's okay. And uh, yeah, I don't have any power right here. And no, I can't, I can't make TK not come in when he's sick. I can just ask him and then, and then he goes from there. Like I don't have power over, you know, over anything really. Um, but it is interesting because there is something with anger. It, I, I dare say a hundred percent of the time it comes, it comes back to, I don't have control over this situation. Mm-hmm. And, and now I'm raging because I don't have control. And we're still not yeah. thinking it all the way through either, because mm-hmm. let's say you did get that power. You got absolute power and could now manipulate every person right? Mm -hmm. Well, that's not what you want either. That's not a human interaction. Mm -hmm. That's interacting with some sort of AI. I've programmed you to do everything I want you to do. That turns into absolute certainty. Mm -hmm. And that's also going to make me angry at some point. Mm -hmm. Angry that there's no variety. Angry there's not that delicate dance of tension. You know, when you're flirting with someone for the first time and all there's that tension there. Are they going to like me? Yeah. I don't know. I don't have power here. So it's not that you actually want power in every scenario because you wouldn't know what to do with it anyway. If you had absolute power, you would try to get rid of it to add that variety back into your life. Yeah. Yeah. And then you you could still be angry at people for needing you to change them. Ah, this idiot. I'm going to have to change him too. Just so angry that I have to do it. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, this, this notion that anger is bad is it has a strong grip on us. And it's very, very seductive as an idea to, to look, at, look at our anger as if it's evidence that we're failing. And, and I, I think about the old adage that says, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop it from making a nest in your hair. I think that's a good sort of analogy for anger. Anger as a sensation that comes and goes as a natural part of the human experience and anger as a condition that you have identified yourself with. You can't stop yourself from being a human being who sometimes observes experiences that you don't like and that cause that feeling of anger to pass through you. But you can prevent it from occupying your soul and making it your permanent home and being someone that is ruled by rage. And don't get mad at me, y'all. I'm only responding to a very popular source of thinking about this because there are a lot of people, a lot of the biggest resistors to this idea are people who quote the Bible. Mm. A lot lot of the biggest champions of this idea, people who quote the Bible, they say, well, the Bible says you shouldn't be angry. The Bible actually says, be angry and sin not. You are going to have moments where you feel frustration, but don't miss the mark. Don't react and respond to that frustration in a way that is unhealthy. It says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. You will have moments where you feel upset with people, but don't let the day end like that. Clear it up. Get it right. Process those feelings. Reconcile yourself with your brother and sister and let it go and start a new day with new grace. Mm. It's the only way you can start the new day is by letting go because we bring all that stuff into our next day. Then it's Groundhog Day except it gets worse every day because that anger builds and builds and builds. Anastasia, I want to send you a copy Mm. of our book, Everything That Remains. Ryan and I wrote this 10 years ago this year, Ryan. We move out to that cabin in the middle of nowhere, Montana. There was one traffic light in 3,400 square miles. And we we lived there for like a five-month period. 
negative 26 degrees when we woke up in the morning. And <laughs> all there was to do was write. We wrote this book called Everything That Remains. And it was a story about letting go of our old lives so we could move forward into something more meaningful. A narrative memoir. If you enjoy our podcast, I think you'll enjoy the audiobook version of Everything That Remains. Or if you want the book book or the ebook version, Anastasia will send those to you as well. Ryan, what time is it? You know what time it is. It's time for the lightning round where we answer your text messages. You can text your questions, your comments, your compliments to 937-202-4654. Yes, indeed. Now, during the lightning round, this is where we do our best to answer questions with a short, shareable, less than 140 character response. We put the text to these minimal maxims in the show notes so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you like. And you can find all of our minimal maxims in one place now, minimalmaxims.com. TK had an idea about this to keep the lightning round short. He's giving us a 60-second timer with our answer. Let's do it. And then... Professor Sean is going to give us a buzzer if we go over on our 60 seconds. Alabama, our question today is from Gloria. My boyfriend and I just bought a new house and his relatives are already sending us big furniture I don't want, but he does. How do I handle this? All right. Start the timer, Professor Sean. Here's what we do. Here's my pithy answer for you, Gloria. Every relationship is a doorway to misery and joy. Quite often we bring someone into our life because we think that person's going to fulfill me. They're going to complete me. They're going to satisfy me. They're going to make me happy. We're mistaken. We are wrong because what's going to happen is they're going to bring out the best of you. Mm. Or if we make the wrong connection, they're going to bring out the worst of me. Well, why do they do that? Because I've heaped a, a load of expectations on you. You should be on time. You should dress like this. You should talk like this. You should behave like this. You should like the things that I like. And if I have those expectations of you, man, it's going to make me miserable. TK mm. Coleman. TK Coleman with 60 seconds for the first time <laughs> in his entire life. I feel like it's unfair because I can't see. I got to do this to see the clock. All right, anyway, start my clock. I, I didn't even look at it. <laughs> I'm just start messing. my clock now. My, my maxim is, Every unwanted gift is an opportunity to be generous. You got two ways you can do this. Number one, Santa Claus built an entire legacy off of unwanted gifts. Why? Because he takes things that he doesn't want or need and he finds people who does need them and he gives it away to them. Please do not leave me a comment on YouTube telling me that Santa Claus is a fictional character because I don't want you to make yourself look like someone who believes that truth cannot be illustrated through fiction, okay? The second way that you can do this is... When someone in your life wants to keep the gift, you can be generous towards them by getting curious about it and using it as an opportunity to build a connection with them and understand why they value that thing. Don't debate them. Don't be defensive. Say, hey, why do you want to keep this? Why do you love them so much? And enjoy the conversation. Yeah, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Ryan Nicodemus. Oh, uh, my pithy answer is this. Big decisions with little discussion creates big disappointment. and. Gloria, I love you. Thanks for listening to us. We are not the men to be asking what's going on. Mm. Like the person to be asking what's going on is is your significant other. And it's a hard conversation, but you got to have it. And if you do it in a loving way with the nonviolent communication, like you'll, you'll probably work it out. My guess is that your husband loves you and wants you to be happy. And you'll see that through, through uh, this conversation you're going to have with him. I'll tell you one rule that I have since we had a little extra time here. One rule that I have in our house that works really well for me and Bex 
We don't bring anything in unless we both agree on it. There were two things that we wanted to go over. And in fact, I'll go over with you on the private podcast here in a bit with the impulse purchases. Mm -hmm. We tried to buy something, but she didn't want it and I wanted it. So we said no to it. And then two days later, she wanted to buy something. And I just didn't like the aesthetic beauty of it. Got her back, didn't you? (laughs) (laughs) He's like, Vito. Vito. And I really wanted it too. I would never do that because that would make her angry, right? Of course, yeah. But we talk it out. And Mm. I'm also willing to make concessions. Mm. But we both agree before we bring something into the home. Mm. And if you can set up a rule like that, Gloria, I think it'll it'll help you out in your relationship. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome, Yeah. yeah. All right, Alabama, we got some other segments to get into. What else you got for us? Here are some minimalist comments and insights from our listeners. Hello, this is Morris Bradley Watson calling out of Tampa, Florida. And I just wanted to bring up a line of thought in regards to the selling part of decluttering when it comes to minimalism. The first half is a list of price points to consider when selling some of your unused stuff. And the second half is the philosophy behind why letting go is okay even when you may not be 100% happy with it. So here are five price points to remember and consider when reselling an item. One, the price you paid for it sans tax. Two, the used price sans tax, which is always half the original price. This is what most people want out of their items, but it's not what they'll always get. Three, the market price for similar items. Four, the price the consumer wants to pay for the item And five, the price you want or will settle for when it comes to the item. One thing to remember is that you don't actually own anything. That may be a difficult concept to grasp, but let me explain. Everything you buy is a remaining lifetime rental, meaning that when you are no longer here, your lease is up and your stuff is not coming with you. Where it goes from there is up for you to determine while you're still here. But let's say you get a brand new couch for $500 and use it for five years. You may not get $250 out of it. You may only get $50 to $100. But even at that, you have the experience of owning that couch for better or worse. And if you discount the amount you resold the couch for, you can count that as how much you initially paid for it. And if you do feel bad about spending as much as you did initially, taking off that $100 can help you feel so much better. So wait, you say, if this is a remaining lifetime rental, what happens when I break the lease and I resell it? Now, that's actually a really fun part because most times when you break a lease, you have to pay a fee. But in this scenario, you're actually getting paid. But anyway, I found that looking at things this way has really helped me declutter and let go. Hi, my name is Jess, and I have gone from being a shopaholic to a minimalist and it has completely changed my life. Um, I just wanted to kind of share with you a more effective form of using the one-in-one-out rule that has worked for me so well that I've never even had to make a swap. <laughs> um, so with the one-in-one-out rule, one really good example is the first step to that being effective is to declutter honestly. You know, when you get rid of your stuff, be honest with yourself. Like, for example, for me, like my jewelry collection, um, I had so much jewelry, but I only wore like five things. So it took like three to four times and I finally decluttered everything. And I just have one necklace. I have one ring and then a couple pair of earrings and that's it, you know? So if I see this necklace in the store and I'm just like, 
oh, I really want that necklace. (laughs) Instead of thinking, well, I'll just buy it and get rid of a pair of socks. It doesn't work that way. If you, if you buy a necklace, you have to get rid of a necklace. You have to get rid of a like item. And the reason why that works so well for me is because I have reduced my clutter so much that I only own one necklace and I love it so much. It's so special to me. There's no way I would buy another necklace and replace it. So it's just, it's really worked for me. Welcome back to the Minimalist Private Podcast, y'all. Before we get into our other simple living segments, we've got some more about less I wanted to talk to you about. Before we do that, though, we had one other social media question. We had a question from Facebook. Kim has a question for us. I heard TK say, what pisses you off is your biggest clue to the very possibilities that you are here to bring forth. So when I get pissed off by my husband because he never does anything on his to-do list, how am I to bring that forth. (laughs) (laughs) TK, this is is explicitly for you. This is so good. This is so good. I I think that phrase, bring something forth, is is probably uh, a little bit more metaphysical and mystical sounding than I intended it to be. Uh, It's kind of like we had a conversation the other week where I said manifestation is a perfectly fine word that's only guilty by association. Uh, It just means to produce. It just means to make happen. It just means to create a result. So uh, substitute any word that has anything to do with making something happen, exercising influence on your environment, having causative power, and that'll do for the phrase, bring, bring it forth. Um, let's talk about but, Kim's husband, though. But yeah, let, let's talk about it. So, so first, let, let's back up and just lay a quick foundation. The context for that observation is this. Anytime you have a so-called negative emotion, two fundamentally different ways you can react to it. The way of self-condemnation or the way of self-discovery. The way of self-condemnation is when you say, I'm a bad person for having the capacity to feel this way, and you tend to wallow in guilt and self-pity. The way of self-discovery is when you say, my ethics are not determined by my emotions, but rather by how I react and respond to what I feel in the moment. I am not a good person or a bad person because of what I feel, but because of what I do with what I feel. And I'm encouraging people when they feel anger, don't wallow. Wally, don't wallow in guilt and self-pity, but instead use it as an opportunity for self-discovery because your anger reveals to you something about your priorities, your preferences, and your principles. How can we know this? Simply by observing the fact that not everyone gets as angry as you do about the things that anger you. Your anger tells you something unique about you because for everything that irritates you, there are people in this world who don't even notice that that's happening. There are people who don't care about that at all. So it says something about you. And it says that you have certain expectations, assumptions, values, needs, and desires that are unique to you. And if you can take what angers you and use it as an opportunity to discover the positive vision for how you want the world to be, that that anger symbolizes or captures for you, it puts you in a position where you can actually do something about it. Not just because you have a positive vision, but because since you are the person that gets angry about that, you actually will have the energy and the motivation to do something about it. So if it annoys you that people are messy and unorganized, that means you have a passion for order. You have a passion for the value of neatness. And when you see something that conflicts with that, it bothers you. When you see people being mean to each other and that angers you, that means you have a passion for kindness and humanity and dignity and generosity. And that means you are optimized to help create a world to be more like that vision you have. Now, here's the thing about changing the world. In order to change the world, 
You have to give up your expectations about what parts of the world are going to change in response to what you have to offer. Mm. Sometimes mm. when we have a passion, we get attached to the notion that our family will appreciate that passion or that our friends will respect that passion. But it might very well be the case when you follow a passion, all the people that grew up with you, all the people that know you, all your family and friends might be completely bored and unimpressed by your passion. And it may be some stranger across the country who says, thank you for saying that. Thank you for creating that. It's just what I needed. And so I think it's very dangerous business to look at this in a way that says, all right, great. I'm going to use anger as a tool for self-discovery. I'm going to identify the fact that I have a passion for productivity. I have a passion for being consistent with your word. I have a compassion for getting things done. And now what I'm going to do is I'm going to use this passion to change my husband. Because the very fact that you are attached to changing him is going to make him resist it. It's only when you are non-attached. Florence Scoble Shen said, your ship comes in over a no-care sea. You know, mm. um, the more you try to change a particular person, the more that person is going to resist it and be like, no, I don't want it from you. So you have to find a way to embody and represent the passions and values that your anger are a clue for in a general sense in everything that you do and everything that you say and how you treat all people. And maybe your husband will be one of the people who changes, but maybe not. But if you're true to who you are and who you're meant to be, someone in this world will be influenced by you. And, you know, it just may not be the people that you want it to be, but mm. that's okay. Mm. If you love your husband and you need to change him, you don't actually love him. Right. Because to want to constantly change someone is to unlove them. It's to set up standards. Now, you might not like this thing about his to-do list, and I totally get that. I learned something from Ryan. He really helped me out with this, that if I have some sort of expectation, like Bex, I would like for her to put the paint up now that she's done painting this little shelf area of the house, and she doesn't do it, I, can, I have a few options here. One is I can get mad yeah, and to just go stew in a room by myself. Go punch a hole yeah. in the wall. Right. Show that wall who's boss. Yeah. I can get, yeah, I can rage. That's another, right. another outcome. I can bring it to her and say, why didn't you do this? Mm -hmm. Or there's a fourth option here. Why not do it myself? Amen. Right? If it's my problem. Yeah. Why don't I put up the paint? Why don't I do the to-do list? So maybe it's not that there is a to-do list that I've given to her that she now needs to complete, mm -hmm. maybe she needs help with that to-do list in order to live up to my standards that I'm setting. Because maybe she's already living up to her standard. And if she did need help, I know she'd ask. Yeah. You know, can I, can I say one more thing on this? Is uh, I think if we, if we understand just how much our own anger says something about our unique form of brilliance and beauty, that anger can then be turned into inspiration. Sometimes we wallow in anger because we underestimate ourselves. So for instance, let's say you get mad at people who just um, um, maybe, um, maybe they never show up on time or maybe they never study. Maybe they never challenge themselves. It could be the case that you are underestimating just how gifted you are or just how advantaged you are. It could be the case that something is something that is of value is really valuable, uh, really obvious to you. And it's not obvious to other people. And instead of getting mad at other people for not being like you, you could say, whoa, wait a minute. There's something important about life that's super obvious to me or natural for me. 
maybe that's one of the things that makes me unique. Maybe that's one of the things that makes me able to bring value to this relationship. And now when you can let go of that anger at the other person and just embrace your own beauty, you're free to get curious. You see your husband acting in a way that's inconsistent with his word. You see your husband setting goals and failing. Think about how transformative it becomes when you stop getting mad at him for that and you say, hey, I want you to be happy and I want you to get what you want. And I noticed that sometimes you say you want to do certain things and you don't do them. Now, it could be because you've changed your mind. I don't know. And you just didn't let me know. Or it could be because you're struggling with something. I'm just curious. Like, why, why didn't you do that thing that you said you wanted to do? And if he can feel that non-defensive curiosity coming from you, it creates a space where he can now open up and say, you know what? Mm. I, I, I thought it might offend you if I did that. Or I, sometimes I feel too tired and like it's not possible for me. Or, oh, you know what? I changed my mind. I don't, I don't even want to do that anymore. And it creates an opportunity for you to be closer to a position of inspiring him than just being angry. Because that anger, if you wallow in it, will alienate you. But if you can understand it in a way that says something about your values, it transforms into curiosity and it's easier to inspire the people around you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're, you're given a great, um, I don't know, you're given some great advice on how to shift that anger. Cause it sounds like, um, you know, this, what is her name? Kim. It sounds like Kim is just basically, I mean, cause the question's kind of sarcastic, right? Uh, uh, yes, a, a little bit. There's a profound truth within that sarcasm. Oh yeah, no, there absolutely is. But it sounds like through that sarcastic question that Kim is just kind of stewing where, where you are offering a different perspective on um, this anger to, uh, to, to help her look at, hold it a little bit differently. Cause that's really what it's about when it comes to anger. Like we have to, we, there does have to be space for it, but we do have to be careful how we hold it and where we hold it. Cause yes, um, it could just result in stewing and Kim wanting to, uh, just, you know, berate her husband or yeah, she could hold it a little bit differently and, and maybe create something out of it. But I, I love what you said, Josh, like if I want something done, like, and if I'm asking someone else to do it and they don't do it, mm -hmm then I will do it myself or I'll hire someone else to do it myself. And I'll tell you, there, there have been times when I, I, I can't remember exactly what or where or when at point in Mariah and I's relationship, but there was something she was like asking me to do. And I'm like, yeah, honey, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. And I forget about it. And then all of a sudden I see her doing it. And, and then I'm like, well, now, now my heart breaks. Cause I'm like, dude, she asked me to do this one little thing. It's obviously it's important to her cause she's doing it. Yeah. And and now I'm going to drop everything I'm doing so I could like go ahead and, you know, at least fulfill the rest of whatever it was that I was supposed to do. So, um, yeah, Kim, uh, this is not a your husband problem. Mm. And to be clear, it's OK to have to ask him to help out with things. So there's yes, no question course. about that. Yeah. And he has every right to say yes or no. Mm -hmm. It seems that Kim's problem is there's this incongruity. She asks for help in these areas mm -hmm. and he says yes. And then as Ryan illustrated, he'll forget or something will spill. Something else will spill onto the to-do list. Yeah, or you get too tired, like TK said. Yeah. yeah. And all of a sudden, those things don't get done. Right. And so sometimes you have to help the person you're asking for help for mm. uh, from in, in order to, to get the thing done that you wanted done in the first place. Yeah. Uh, personally, mm. I experienced this as a teacher. I used to have students who would go to their new jobs and they would do things that struck me as just really angrifying. They would do things like 
go out for lunch without letting anyone know that they were going for lunch. Mm. And they would just take like two hours, three hours, and not let anybody know how much time they were taking. Mm. And they would come back. And when the manager was angry, they had no understanding of why that was the case. Mm. There were tons of little things like that. And when I would hear back from their managers, I would be furious. Mm. How could you do something that stupid was my initial thought. And I had to step back and I had to say, well, why does that make you so angry, man? It makes me angry because I want them to do well at their jobs. Mm. And I don't want them getting in trouble over small, over small avoidable things that could have been easily mitigated through clear communication. Okay, TK, is it possible that that's something you've learned or you've been taught or you're naturally good at that maybe nobody ever sat down and told them? Yeah, that's possible. How do you know if that possibility is true or not? Um, I probably should stop making assumptions and just sit down with them and talk to them and ask them, okay, maybe this is what can make you a valuable teacher, a valuable coach. Maybe what's angering you is a clue for what your gift is and how you can be of use to the world. And I began to channel that anger in the direction of making improvements in the curriculum, making improvements in our coaching improving our process of interviewing people for positions and improving the process of helping managers manage them. Mm. And now the problem is solved, but I had to embrace that anger as a gift first and take it off of other people and put it on me. Mm. I think that um, we're talking to Kim here about all of these expectations that lead Mm -hmm. to anger. We talk a lot about anger today, right? And I think that sometimes we don't understand that that to-do list is a burden for him Mm -hmm. and he pretends as though it's a virtue because we're told by society that, oh yeah, to be busy is to be important, Mm -hmm. to be significant, Mm -hmm. to be productive, to be efficient, to be loved sometimes. One must be doing something. We've even been told that love is a verb. Show me that you love me by completing your to-do list. Hmm. Of course, that's not love. Hmm. I can appreciate, I can like the fact that you're doing these things for Hmm. us. But to love you is to simply see you. And if I try to impart this change on you, well, it's the old Dale Carnegie quote, right? A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. (laughs) Yeah, you can hold a gun to my head and ask me to do just about anything, and I'm going to do it. But here's the last thing I'll say to Kim. Is, are the things you're asking him within reason? There's this acronym, no, initialism, GGG, that Dan Savage has with respect to relationships, in particular sexual relationships, but being good, giving, and game in the bedroom. Mm. Being good at what you do, meaning like, progressing, becoming more skilled at it, right? Being giving, always thinking about the other person, not just taking, giving, but then being game, being willing to do anything within reason, right? Mm. And now you get to decide what is in within reason with you, Mm -hmm. right? And it's perfectly reasonable to have a to-do list, right? But is everything on there reasonable? And if so, is he also being GGG in the relationship, right? Are you both being good, giving, and game? Or are your expectations getting in the way mm. of, that, of that relationship? 
Let's move on to more about less. This is where we read something as a jump off point to have a little discussion here. This is from Anthony DeMello. I was going to read this at our last Sunday symposium. Well, the one that's coming up right before we're recording this. But if you're listening to the recorded version and not the live stream, the last Sunday symposium, this is a, a section that I cut for time from the symposium. But I want to read this here. This is from Anthony DeMello's book, Stop Fixing Yourself. Mm-hmm. And this is from page 62. We'll put a link to the book in the show notes. There's a story about a, a disciple who went, to, who went to the master and said, could you give me a word of wisdom? Could you tell me something that would guide me through my days? It was the master's day of silence. So he picked up a pad and wrote awareness. When the disciple saw it, he said, this is too brief. Can you expand on it a bit? So the master took back the pad and wrote, awareness, awareness, awareness. <laughs> <laughs> the disciple said, yes, but what does that mean? The master took back the pad and wrote, awareness, awareness, awareness means awareness. <laughs> 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 what you are aware of, you control. What you are unaware of controls you. You are always a slave to what you're not aware of. When you're aware of it, you're free from it. It's there, but you're not affected by it. You're not controlled by it. You're not enslaved by it. That's the difference. When awareness is turned on, there's never any distraction because you're always aware of whatever happens to be. No one can show you how to do it because he would be giving you a technique. He would be programming you. But watch yourself. When you were angry with somebody, TK, were you aware that you were angry? Or were you simply identifying with your anger? Later, when you had the time, did you study your experience and attempt to understand it? Where did the anger come from? What brought it on? You only change what you understand and are aware of. What you do not understand and are not aware of, you repress. You don't change. But when you understand it, it changes. Look at a person or a thing that you have an attachment to. This is someone or something to whom you have handed over the power to make you happy or unhappy. I think this goes back perfectly to Kim's question. You've now handed that power to your husband to make you happy or unhappy. And by the way, he doesn't want that power. He doesn't want you to be unhappy. He wants you to be happy, mm-hmm. right? And so you're handing him these things and saying, make me happy, make me happy. He can't make you happy. Only you can make you happy. Kim, return to the text. Notice that because of your connection on getting this person or thing and holding on to it and enjoying it exclusively, you did so to the exclusion of other things and persons. See how, because of your obsession with this person or thing, you have less sensitivity to the rest of the world. You have become hardened. Have the courage to see how prejudiced and blind you have become in the presence of the object of your attachment. Allow that into your awareness. When you see that, you will feel a yearning to rid yourself of every every attachment. Renunciation and avoidance are of no help. To blot something out makes you as hard and as insensitive as to obsess on it. This is what we were talking about earlier, the hedonism, 
versus the asceticism, mm -hmm. right? Both of these things will harden your heart over time. Mm -hmm. If your attachments have caused you suffering and sorrow, that's a, that's a help to understanding. There is no substitute for the awareness that shows you the loss you suffer when you overvalue one thing to the exclusion of everything else. If, conversely, you have at least once in your life experienced the sweet taste of freedom and the delight in life that unattachment brings, that too is a help. What we're talking about here is understanding. When we see, observe the anger, we observe our attachments. The prescription is not to become detached. He didn't use the word to detach, right? Mm. To renounce it ties you to it the same way that clinging ties you to it. Doesn't allow you to use it. If I renounce the monkey bars, I can't cling to them. I can't let go of them. I've mm. simply renounced it altogether, right? So they become useless to me. The same thing is true with anger. As soon as you've renounced anger, everything is a product of anger. It's uh, Mallory was talking to me about this via text this week. You know, there's this thing called the frequency illusion. I don't know what the other name for it is, but you know, when you buy a car, now everyone has the white right. Toyota Corolla that like, you bought. Yeah. Why does everyone have the same car that I have? Yeah. Yeah. It's called the frequency illusion. Mm -hmm. And I think the same thing is true with our emotions. Mm -hmm. When we renounce it, it shows up a whole lot more oh, yeah. than if we observe it. Yeah. I dig it. Yeah. I, uh, I think when we, when we practice awareness, yeah, it takes us out of being that thing. So it is very valuable to step back and to look at what's happening within us from a third perspective, a third person perspective. Um, because yeah, at, at that point we don't have to let it control us. We can see it controlling us and it might help us react a little bit different. I know it does for me. It's like sometimes I, yeah, like I'll, not all the time. Like last night I was like being a little punk, but usually <laughs> I can look in the mirror and be like, dude, you're being a punk. Well, it, it's you seeing yourself, you're clinging onto these prison cell bars, right? Mm -hmm. To use a different analogy. Mm -hmm. And now you're in this prison, you're holding onto these bars and you're like, let me out of here. Let me out of here. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you just step back and observe it, you realize you're actually on the other side of the bars. Mm -hmm. You're not locked up at all. You're actually within freedom mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. And you're clinging to the bars thinking that you're in prison. And it's because you never stop to step back and actually see that you have the freedom. Yeah. The freedom to let go, the freedom to walk away. Yeah. Robert Anton Wilson did not invent but popularize something called E-Prime which is a manner of speaking in which you eliminate all forms of to be. So you never say things like this food is good. You have to express that same thought without using any form of to be. So you might say, I like this food. Um, that's a fantastic song. I enjoy this song. Yeah. This room is warm. It feels warm to me. Right. Mm. And when you practice using something like E prime, what it does is it conditions your mind to put yourself back into the center of your experience so that you can realize, even though we use the language of objectivity, we're never actually being objective because we don't observe things as they are in and of themselves. 
We observe things as they are filtered through our various perceptual mechanisms from our mood, our unique cognitive capacity, the, the assumptions that we make, the educational and cultural background that we have. And so when someone tells you, you know, uh, directions from one place to another, they're not just telling you where that other place is, they're telling you where they are, or they're telling you the perspective from which they see things. So whenever we describe the world, we're always describing ourselves. And so I see observation or awareness as the art of acknowledging the element of self in the experience, that I'm not seeing reality as it is in and of itself. I'm seeing through a TK filtered mechanism. I'm seeing myself reflected back to me. And when I can recognize that, it allows me to experience that in a different way, not as a reality that's imposing itself on me, but as a reality that I am co-creating in some kind of way. Maybe not the reality itself, but the experience. You can't, you can't, you can't get a reality without an experience. You know, anything that you say is real, you're talking about something that you are experiencing. So you can't separate those things. What we say is reality is our experience of reality. And when you become aware of that, you not only have the power to tinker with that experience, but you have the ability to accept it in a way that wouldn't quite be possible if you believed that you were a slave to something that's purely outside of yourself. I want to move on to our next segment. It's called Talk Aboutables. We've got a few things to talk about today, ladies and gentlemen. First off, patrons are loving the new format by and large. Shout out to all the patrons. We had a record number of patrons last month in August. Heck yeah. And so uh, new people joining and really enjoying the experience. Uh, every day, Emma's sending us comments and things to respond to yeah. from all the uh, the patrons. And man, it's so good to to see that when you put a ton of work into changes, so we put so much work in, I mean, TK moved out to LA to make this happen. Right. But people are really enjoying the new format, uh, with, uh, where you know, obviously Ryan was gone for a bit, but he's back now. Although I think next week you'll be gone for one more week. Yeah. One more week. Um, going to burning man. Yeah, that's right. Talk when about I, that. When I come back, you'll, I think my new nickname will be star guide and you'll have to refer to me as that from now on. <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, just call me Star Guide for now. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, I want to watch the man burn. I uh, no, I got a buddy and his wife are going out, and uh, you haven't been before. Have never been. Um, I've always had this desire to go and just kind of get the experience of this, like you know, communal. Although it's really weird, man, because like I've spent so much money, <laughs> like getting tickets alone are insane. Mm. And it's just so it is there's an irony to it where I'm like, you know, looking and, you know, Mariah and I have a vacation fund that we, you know, take out of when we need to do different things. And I'm like watching the balance get less and less. I'm like, this ain't so like free giving stuff here. Like this is <laughs> there's a lot of resources that go into this. But the idea of it, um, I think is pretty cool. And I'm looking forward to uh, Mariah and I are looking forward to kind of seeing how how it is. We're only going for like four days, five days. Okay. It's a 10 day thing. Um, but people there practice radical compassion. There's no currency. Uh, the currency is kindness. That's exactly it. Yeah. yeah. So, so when you're there and that's why I'm going, cause when you're there, there's just an irony to leading up to it where I'm like looking at all the money. I'm like, there's nothing free <laughs> about this event. Um, but the idea of being there and everyone saying, Hey, like I've, I've, we've come to the middle of the desert. We've brought what we're going to bring. Mm. Um, 
I have some extras of things. I even planned to, you know, like I'm bringing coffee. That's what I'm doing for our camp. So I'm like, you know, going to be making a bunch of coffee for people. Wow. And uh, there is no trade. There is no like, hey, I've got this beaded necklace for a cup of coffee. There is no trade. It is just like you bring what you have and then everyone just like gives as much as they can. And um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that whole that that concept. And the reason they, they do it for 10 days, they realize it's not Dang. sustainable in perpetuity. Right. They do it for 10 days so you can see the nature of giving, mm-hmm. radical giving. Mm-hmm. And while that may not be sustainable, just like going out and blowing your paycheck on a Friday is not sustainable because then Saturday, Sunday comes along. Uh-oh, how am I going to eat? Right? Right. And so it sort of removes these guardrails of the world so to speak um oh i love that mainly because that thought made me just realize that like i'm going to a fantasy world yeah like i'm and there's there's nothing sometimes it's fun to believe yes you know what i'm saying but it's also it gives you a different perspective as to what's possible and stretching our limits and how you can be kind with uh, to with other people without expecting something Mm -hmm. and it shows you how that is right yeah some people have to do you know ketamine or lsd or whatever to figure out that there is no ego like the (laughs) the ego is just an illusion right Right. and but other people can figure that out without Mm -hmm. but what you're doing here is sort of the social equivalent of that where you show up and it is radical giving mm-hmm. and there's no expectation of receiving because you know everything that you need is taken care of yeah. there. Yeah, it's it's almost like it's not living in an alternate reality, but it's like living in an alternate community. And that that is what is appealing about it to me because it, it's, it seems like such a radical idea. Mm. Um, I don't know where else you could experience that type of... I know there are other festivals out there and trade fairs and and barter fairs and things like that. Um, but something identical to like what they do out in the desert, like I don't know where else you could get that experience. I mean, people come from all over the world to to be part of this community for ten days. So um, I'm lucky that you know I get to be part of it for five days. How many people? It's like fifty thousand or so. Oh my God. Okay, yeah, yeah, and it's out in the middle of the desert, and your basic needs are going to be met there. But also you can't show up and bring money and, and, and bring, you know, your, your capital and, and, and barter. It's, it is simply showing you the possibilities, the way, the analogy I, I would like to deploy here is that Burning Man is somewhat like a really elegant five-star experimental avant-garde restaurant. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent, man. Where you That's wouldn't. So even want to eat that every day because I didn't, oh, like I went to this restaurant called Vespertine in LA. Yeah. Uh, I took my wife there on a very special occasion. Most mm-hmm. I've ever spent on a meal was several hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. And, but it was a true experience. Like there was a plant on the table and then you realize, oh no, this is actually the first course. You yeah. eat the flowers that were on this, the, this art display and the whole thing was art, right? Mm-hmm. But if you were doing this every day, it'd become a bit, I don't know, nerve wracking, laborious is the word that comes to mind, but it shows you what's possible. It shows you the limit or the outer edges of art and in the culinary experience. Yeah. And you realize that part of this is the experience. And although I wouldn't want to live this every day, Mm -hmm. it shows me the possibilities of my everyday life. One more thing too. It shows you the reality of life itself as well. It shows you possibility and reality, meaning that 
Part of reality is that all forms of beauty are not meant for continual consumption. Some things are good and you only get to experience them once in your entire life, mm-hmm. right? That we kind of have this assumption that the only valid forms of adventure and beauty and joy are the ones that we can repeat. And life is also about saying there are some ridiculously amazing experiences that you only get once. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that is true in more ways than one. Mm. Because yes, you might see a sunset more than once, but you'll never see that sunset yeah. again. Yeah. I, we were driving here with Bex the other day. I, I was coming down and we saw through Ventura County into LA County, we saw three different sunrises mm. because so cool. of the way the mountain, the Santa Monica mountains hit there. Yeah. And it was, each one of them was unique. Yeah. Magnificent. Beautiful. Right. Yeah. And to start to compare them with superlatives, then all of a sudden it ruins it because it's like, oh, well, that's the third best sunset I've seen today or whatever, mm-hmm. as opposed to, wow, another sunset. Yeah. Shout out to our VIP patrons. Thank you so much for uh, joining us. We're going to be doing some, uh, Mallory, after the podcast, please uh, pull us aside before anyone leaves. We've got to do another personalized video. By the way, if you're one of our VIP patrons, there's only it's limited at a couple hundred of you, and there are a few slots available, but... Uh, you get an advanced copy of everything that we create, whether it's a film, a book, whatever else, mm. before anyone else gets it. But also, we do some other personalized things for you. We'll record personalized birthday videos, greeting videos. We'll scare your husband for you. <laughs> <laughs> whatever you need. We'll, uh, you just send us a request, a DM mm. on Patreon. Let us know if you want one of those personalized videos. We're doing one for, I believe, Jessica today. Dude, we should create a VVIP experience very very yes very very important <laughs> person i don't want to know what you're willing to do for that <laughs> we already have too many tears i guess we'll just keep it there i can see the commercial now husband not completing his to-do list that's right <laughs> ryan's just uh <laughs> here's what you get for your vvip experience but shout out to you thank you for uh supporting us keeping yeah. this podcast advertisement free malabama you put this in the production notes here it's quinny's rules for living with less we have the minimalist rules from a 10 year old can you read that for us please i sure can and i thought these were so precious <laughs> quinny's rules for living with less Photos or videos help me let go to use my shared album, Letting Go. Number two, letting go of things that you haven't used in 90 days or haven't used in their season. Number three, I hate this rule and I don't want it, but I have to get this rule one when I have to let something go that is not a need. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Four, I don't need to keep things because of a worry that I might need it. Five. Okay. If you use something, put it back so parents don't assume that it's cluttered and you need to let go of more stuff. (laughs) That was my personal favorite. (laughs) That's funny. Number six, clean bed every day or make it and switch out blankets and stuffed animals every week. With an exclamation point. Seven, if I want to buy something, stop and pause and think. Do I want it just now? If that's not true, depending on the cost, wait. For example... One to five dollars. Wait one to three days. Six to fifteen dollars. Wait seven days. Sixteen to twenty-five dollars. Wait ten days. Twenty-six to forty dollars. Wait fifteen days. More than forty-one dollars. Wait two months. <laughs> I needed this advice when I was oh younger. Oh my god! From the mouth of a ten-year-old. From the mouth it's of so babes. <laughs> it really is. Number eight. 
So if a thing you're holding on to were to explode and you wouldn't be sad or crying, in fact, you would feel lighter and happier, let it go, <laughs> in all caps. And number nine, when you know you have to let it go, but you're not very happy about it, turn on Alexa to play the song, Let It Go. <laughs> That's my favorite That's one. That's my favorite one so far. I'm going to start doing that. So we have the kids minimalist rule book now. It's uh, re- <laughs> it's just restructuring our rules, which Quinny, bravo to you. Yes, Quinny, yeah. great job. You've made our 16 rules for living with less kid friendly and you've put your own spin on it. I love it. And what I love here is not the rules themselves. The rules are always adjustable. Rules help us do mechanical things, technical things really well. But also understanding the why. Why mm. are we letting go? We're letting go because holding on to the things from the past often make us miserable. It's so easy to criticize and so hard to create. And one of the reasons I think most people don't follow their creative impulses is because they know how unforgiving and merciless the world can be at picking apart every little detail of what mm. you tried to say. And so in a world where that happens so often, Quinny, I just want to give you a big shout out and say, I'm so impressed that you took the time to take your ideas and just document them and put them out there and share them with the world and take all the risk that comes with that. That to me is so beautiful. And keep that as a rule of life. You got something to say, say it. You got something to share, share it. You got ideas. Those ideas will evolve and change with time. But it's so beautiful of you, so brilliant of you to just offer that up for the world for whoever can benefit from it. I love it. Amen. In the letting go piece, also, Quinny, being willing to let go of those rules if they stop serving you or being willing to modify the rules is a sign of maturity. Because that's another kind of holding on. Oh, I've set up this rule for me that worked during a period of my life. But if it's not serving you now, you can also let that go. Yeah. I want to talk to you all about inflation. and Because what are the minimalists' thoughts on inflation? We hate it, obviously, because uh, things start to well, cost what, more. What are we talking about inflating? <laughs> 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 Ryan comes in here with one of those little like uh, duck uh, inflatables. I love inflating <laughs> so those. I thought you guys would never ask. <laughs> I love inflation <laughs> in that sense. <laughs> so, TK, you are our resident um, economist. Economist, <laughs> don't 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 say that because someone that's got a PhD in economics will be like, he's not an economist. So I don't even want to pretend to prefer to be. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I also call you, you a philosopher and you don't have a PhD in that uh, either. And it's okay. Yeah, uh, neither yeah. did Socrates, by the way. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and so you understand much more about the economy than Ryan and I do. And you understand about uh, some, you have some thoughts about inflation that I think might help shine a light on the predicament that we're in right now in a way that doesn't get political and blaming a particular administration or a particular person or even a particular set of guidelines, but it's a more holistic picture. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's funny because it, it's been said before that um, usually when we hear terms like Federal Reserve, we think of it as like, um, oh, it's, it's the government that, that, that does it. It's the government that, that handles all the money. But uh, but Federal Reserve is more like uh, Federal Express. It's it's a it's sort of a private, independent institution that that governs, you know, uh, the money supply. And um, 
you know, the money supply is not something that is is set and fixed, which is why to not, not to make it about this, but which is why Bitcoin enthusiasts are so excited about the potential of something like that. Because when you push past all these discussions about, oh, if you buy this low, it'll go up really high and you'll be rich. When you push past that, the heart of something like Bitcoin is that it's a form of digital money that has a fixed supply so that there can't be any more Bitcoins in the future. There's a set amount. There could only ever be 21 million. Why is something like that valuable? Because anytime you increase the amount of money, you dilute the value of each dollar, right? Mm -hmm. So if you only have like a trillion dollars in in, in circulation, well, each dollar is going to have a certain amount of value. But if you say... It'll have one one trillionth of the total value. Yeah. yeah. Wow. (laughs) But now what happens if you say, hey, we're going to print... 10 trillion additional dollars where, well, the value of each dollar that already exists now goes down. Right. And so one of the causes of inflation is the increasing of the money supply. Um, I, I heard it said, I forget who said this, but they said the, um, the, um, it's something like the first rule of economics is that scarcity exists. And the first rule of politics is to ignore the first rule of economics. (laughs) And, And sometimes, um, it can be easy to think that we can print our way out of money problems that are actually symptoms of more fundamental issues. And, you know, so when we get in a rut, we can say like, hey, let's let's increase the money supply so that we can give out more money to more people. But you just can't do that without compromising the dollars of people that have saved for years and years, people that are no longer able to work and get raises. They're living on that fixed income. So increasing the money supply is a problem. Because it's not really something that you and I can get any direct say over. Mm. It's something that we're just sort of subject to. And it's one of the reasons why we have to be very careful about the implications whenever anyone promises to solve a problem quickly. And and that's, that's a lesson that applies to more than just politics. You know, usually when something sounds too good to be true, it is. And politicians on all sides have a lot of pressure to come up with quick solutions because they know that's what people want. And if they don't make lofty promises, people just aren't going to vote for them. You know, being really honest is extremely difficult to do in politics. And so sometimes people make promises that are hard to back up. And when it's time to fulfill those promises, they may have to, you know, support certain decisions that ultimately will affect us negatively in the long run. So that's kind of like my brief two cents, if you want to call that brief on just some thoughts on inflation. Mm. So and let, let's get practical yeah. on that. Yeah. How does inflation affect us on a, on a daily basis? You know, on, on, a day, on a day-to-day basis, you have to live with an awareness of the fact that the purchasing power of your dollar is always decreasing, mm-hmm. which means the value of a dollar today is greater, I mean, is lesser than it was five years ago. Mm-hmm. And the value of a dollar tomorrow is going to be less than it is today. And so that means you have to have a financial game plan that takes that into account. Saving money over the long term is literally losing money. Because let's say the rate of inflation is, and I don't know what it is exactly, but let's just say hypothetically, the rate of inflation is like 2%. Mm -hmm. That means if you're not earning more than 2% interest on your money, then that means every year you're losing that much purchasing power in the amount of money that you have. And so when you think about your future, both your earning power, the investments that you make in your skill set and in your career and your education, the investments that you make in in financial um, vehicles and so forth for your retirement, 
you have to take into account the fact that you're in a battle against inflation. So you may say, look, I don't care about being rich. I don't care about, you know, investing in things and earning a bunch of money. That's fine. But you're already in a losing battle against inflation. And so you're always playing come behind and you have to take that into account. It's one of the reasons why I, I teach financial literacy to a lot of high school students, because I want them to think about that now. You may not be afraid of retirement right now, but a lot of these things are going to come into play very soon and you need to know how to think about them. Right. I want to be careful though, because this isn't a license to, well, I better spend all of my money now because it's going to be worth less in the future. It's going to be worth less. It's true. 10 years from now, unless we have deflation, which has, has its own set of problems, your money is technically going to be worth less 10 years from now. And so investing it in something like a uh, index fund right. that outpaces inflation, hopefully, is more responsible than, say, keep it in the bank or the mattress. It's a better decision. I shouldn't say more responsible. It's a better decision financially right. than simply holding on to it. However, if the stock market tanks at the wrong moment, then you could look back in the rear view and say, oh, of course, it's not guaranteed. Nothing, Nothing is guaranteed is, yeah. here. But it is not an endorsement of wasting money either, because this is a different, this is almost like inverse impulse buying, where like, oh, I, I, it, we call it burning a hole in your pocket when you're right. young, right? You get that right. paycheck on a Friday and it's like, where are we going? We're going to the mall. Right. Let's go to CD Connection. Let's go to Macy's. Let's go to all these places. Oh my God. Just describe the 90s in like one sentence. Yeah, the middle, <laughs> the middle town mall. <laughs> yeah. We did uh, on a segment while you were gone, Ryan, we did a, uh, a um, what was it? Obsolete Objects yeah. segment. I used a photo of the middle town mall, how it is now, where it's mm. just empty. And But I would spend my 90s there. I'd get my my money, yeah, and then I would take it there and buy things I didn't necessarily need. Mm -hmm. But it was like it was almost as though I felt as an obligation to spend the money because I didn't think about the alternative at all. I just oh, I've got the money now, and I have things that I want. I assume those things are going to make me happy. Mm -hmm. And the problem, the most pernicious part, is they do make you happy for a short period of time, mm -hmm. but then you end up chasing the dragon after that. Yeah, you, you have to think about spending as if you are changing the form of your wealth. So if you take, if you have $5 and you spend that $5 on a trinket, trinket, you are taking the wealth that is represented by $5 and you are transforming it into that trinket. That trinket has less liquidity than the cash. So that's going to be a step down. So it better make you happy and it better make you happy for a while because your options are more limited, right? So the idea that, hey, because inflation is a reality, I'm just going to spend my money, that ignores the most valuable question, which is compare to what, right? Yes. Saving your money without earning interest is a form of loss, but spending your money without saving is an even greater form of loss, Right. So simply saying, hey, the value of my dollar is decreasing because of inflation. Therefore, I'm going to burn it. Therefore, I'm going to throw it away. Therefore, yeah. I'm going to spend it on something that I don't need. Therefore, I'm going to treat something that has lesser value as if it has zero value. Wouldn't be a wise decision. But this is why, to give some more context, why you hear a lot of people talking about things like gold and silver. And I won't go on and on about this, but in, in, in the history of, of money, even in, in this country, we were on a gold standard once upon a time. Like that's what people use. People use gold. And, and if you own gold, it was very valuable. 
And of course, you know, carrying gold around is pretty hard. It's hard to, 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 to divide it yourself. It's, it's hard, you know, it's hard to, you know, uh, transport it with you. You have a security issue. And so you, our, our dollars usually, I mean, they, they originally were certificates representing a certain amount of gold that was deposited. So you'd go to a bank and you say, here are so many pounds of gold. And they give you these paper certificates that would say, it's worth this much in gold. And then you kind of trade on these these certificates. Well, we moved away from that gold standard. Right. And we're still using the certificates. But the certificates are no longer backed by gold. They're backed, they're backed by an agreement that we all have. Mm-hmm. Money has become a sort of game that we're all playing. And the value of that dollar is an expression of my faith in it, your faith in it, this person's faith in it. And it's a collective game and it's no longer backed by gold, which is why you see a lot of people, and this isn't me giving people investment advice, but it's why you see a lot of people when inflation spikes, they retreat to gold, not in order to get rich quick, but because gold isn't something that you can inflate. The government can't manufacture gold. The government can't say, hey, uh, we need 10 more trillion dollars circulating in the economy. Let's print some more gold. Mm-hmm. It's it's scarce. Mm-hmm. And so the notion of sound money, whenever you hear economists or politicians talking about getting getting our country back to a place where we have sound money, they're saying, let's figure out a way to anchor our currency in something that can't be inflated because the temptation to inflate things it's almost irresistible. Once you open that door, it's very difficult to shut it back. Yeah. It seems to me that inflation really screws over people who are the most impoverished. Absolutely. Can we talk about why that's the case? So inflation increases the expensiveness of doing business, of engaging in entrepreneurial ventures. And one of the best ways to move from poverty to wealth is to one, make investments in your education to whatever degree you can, and two, figure out ways or be taught ways to take the gifts and talents that you have and be able to solve problems for other people because money is a reward for creating value and solving problems for other people. Anytime you give someone money, it's because they're solving a problem for you. It may not be a problem to me, but it's a problem to you or they're fulfilling a desire or meeting a need for you. It may not be how I would spend my money, but it's a need for you and that's why you're giving them their money. And so for people that don't have a lot of money, it's very empowering for them to realize that money is a symbolic representation of creative power. And so they may not have money, but they have the creative ability to meet people's needs. And if you can combine that with education and invest in the development of a skill, you can increase your wealth gradually, not easily, not overnight, but it becomes possible. Inflation makes all of those things more artificially difficult. It, it, it creates an environment where investors aren't afraid to, afraid to invest. It creates an environment where buyers become spending averse because they're fighting this demon of inflation that's haunting them. And it creates a space where even taking risk and failing becomes more expensive. And all of those things work against our natural human entrepreneurial instincts. Mm. Let's talk about the implications, though, if you are, if you're a poor person mm-hmm. and like Ryan and I grew up really poor and just the basics, the, the cost of something going up 10% yeah. means now that I'm spending more money on milk, I have less money for bread or I have less money for meat or I have less money for gas in my car. And so in a way, inflation seems to be a tax, an accidental tax. Yeah on the poor. 
that's exactly what it is. Um, and, and, and also, um, not just on the poor, but also on the retired. Because people who retire, they've put in their work. And now they're going to live off the interest generated by the money they've invested over the years, right? Or, or by, by some of the principal that they dig into. So now they're no longer taking in new money. They're working off the money that they have earned or that their money is now working for them. And so inflation basically says, hey, you got no new sources of income coming in to reflect, you know, the lower value of your dollar and you're living off those same dollars. So it's a tax on the retired as well. It's a tax on people who save uh, and it disincentivizes saving. But yes, um, the poor are hurt by this tremendously because it's not like when there's inflation, you get an automatic raise. Yeah. It's not like your job says, hey, we've been keeping track with inflation. And, and since the value of your dollar is less, we're going to now give you an automatic raise. That doesn't happen, right? Uh, and even when it does happen, sometimes there's a time delay that can bury you if you don't have enough time. It's why we saw in 2020 so many small businesses shutting down really fast because we underestimate just how few people have the ability to survive three, four, five, six months when you don't have a source of income coming in, you know? Um, so it, it really is a tax on the poor and it's, it's, it's definitely um, a big problem. Uh, yeah, I, I think to summarize this conversation is inflation is going to happen. It's going to happen, yeah. It's going to happen. Like your money is going to be worth less. Like you said, tomorrow it's going to be worth even less the day after that, five years from now. So it's not a matter of if, it's when. So with that being said, um, it's doing it's it's taking your finances very seriously, and it's preparing for when things like this happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what an an emergency fund is. And I'm not trying to undermine you know poor poor people get an emergency fund. I mean, that's really that that sounds like a callous comment. That's not what I'm saying. But what I will say is looking at Josh's upbringing, looking at my upbringing, look at other people I know who their upbringing was very similar to ours. Poor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alcohol, drugs, yada, yada, yada. My mother and father did not, did not take their finances seriously. The only time they took it serious is when all of a sudden, like, they were at this boiling point and now they're like, oh, no, what do I do? And it's like, well, you didn't take it. Like, hindsight, I look at them like, well, you didn't take it seriously up to this point. Like, of course you have a problem right now. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, I think uh, a lot of this has to do with, like, take it, take this stuff seriously. If you can only save five bucks a week, fine. Save five bucks a week. I mean, do something. And when I say save, I mean, yeah, you can put it into a betterment. You can get a little bit better of a return on it, whatever it may be. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this this is, it's it's going to happen. That's, yeah, that's how it goes. I think you can map that on to yeah. other areas of life as well outside of money, right? Mm-hmm. Quite often, we wait to react when all of a sudden the house is on fire, mm-hmm. right? And now it's like, oh, well, how, what do I do? How do I put out this fire? And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, well, there were, maybe there were seven right. other things I could have got done. a smoke detector. Right. Could have had a fire extinguisher. Yeah, you're, you're 100% correct. And, and that is the approach, I think. Th- that's what we need to take, yeah, with not just money, but yeah, other things in our, in our life. But I mean, especially with money, it's like, I know for me, when I found myself broke, like I was just like, I was just angry about it. I didn't do anything about it. I was just like, poor me. Um, and it wasn't until I really started taking it seriously where it was like, oh, like I can actually pay off my debt if I have a budget, if I take this a little bit more seriously. But yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I'm trying not to undermine the whole people are poor and like that is, that's a very real thing. And I'm not, 
Again, I'm not just sure. trying to blanket this and say, well, get get an emergency fund. But what I will say is poor or rich, there are things you can do to um, be a little bit more cautious and, and take finances a little bit more seriously. So when things like this happen, you're not going to be in that situation where you're like, oh, no, no, like now I'm screwed. And now, you know, whatever it may be. By the way, um, I just want to, I want to say that this is not an endorsement to go buy gold. That's all I want to say. <laughs> Yeah. 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 I don't buy commodities. Yeah, I don't buy commodities either. Yeah. But I understand why people do buy gold because they do feel. Yeah. yeah. But anyway. And, and most people who buy gold, by the way, don't don't even look at it as like, oh, this is something that's going to make me rich. It's 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 right. It's, it's more typically a, a defense, yeah. a defensive move yeah. um, uh, that that's often employed by people who have a lot of capital and who can mm-hmm. afford to absorb high risk uh, and live without their money for a long time. Well, one, one thing I'll say about, you know, the topic on poverty and so on is that all of the different issues are connected. Like money problems are not just money problems. It's not like we can separate money issues from the rest of society and they exist over there. And over here we have education, we have healthcare, we have relationships and all these other things. They're all connected. And anytime you can resolve problems in one area, you can make them a little bit easier to deal with in another area. So access to to technology, for instance, or alternative education um, processes that can help people develop skills. Like when you think about money, money is only as valuable as the things and the experiences that it can help you have access to. But if there are ways that you can increase people's access to things without money by driving down costs, supporting innovation in other areas, then you can sort of circumvent money problems in certain ways and make it easier for people to get started on the process of creating wealth, which is why I always say, you know, like, I, I believe that politics is the religion of our our day, because many of us, we, we, the only way we can think of being helpful to people that we feel compassion for is voting for this person, voting for that person, debating over, over politics, getting the right political party in control and so on. But I think we not only need systemic solutions where we address these large scale problems, but we also can benefit from looking at areas in our own lives where through a combination of creativity and generosity and other forms of social advocacy, we can help people who don't have certain advantages. We can help them begin to make progress or create a path towards progress in their lives and, and where we don't downplay the power of helping a specific individual or a specific community of individuals by being directly involved with our time, our energy, our knowledge, our resources, and not limiting our concept of shareable wealth to dollars and cents. What you're talking about here is access quite often. And so as a minimalist, having access to something is often better for me than owning the thing, possessing Mm -hmm. the thing. Mm -hmm. There are a few examples, but I can think of one in particular. There's no way I would ever want to own a boat, right? Right. But I might really enjoy going out on someone else's boat or Mm -hmm. renting a boat for an evening, having access to the thing without needing to own it, hold it, possess it. And that brings me over to this concept of the library of things. I was at my local library recently. I was checking out some books for, I do this bad writing series for the how to write better class that I, I teach. Uh, YouTube.com slash how to write better if you want to see these bad. I, I basically take famous authors and show you examples of how even great writers have some bad writing. We all have some sort of bad writing. And I teach a lesson on why the John Grisham novel lacks verisimilitude and what that really means. But as I was going through all these books at the library, I saw this um, bookmark 
that talked about their library of things mm. in Ventura County. It's the whole system there in Ventura County. They have a library of things. And so you can check with your local library. If you don't have access to something, the library of things, things like technology. So you could have access to a laptop or a computer without having to own it, right? Mm, Musical instruments. They have, you can check out musical instruments through the library. Now it's the library of things, kitchen equipment. They have these, um, uh, cooktops that you can check out there, skillets, utensils, a bunch of things that you can check out from the library. If you, if you need them, gardening and seeds, um, they have like different recreational uh, equipment, pickleball, you've got tennis rackets, you've got basketballs. You can check these out from the library. So maybe you don't own them, but maybe you don't need to own them. Maybe yeah. you have access to some of these things. I was thinking about one of our early tour stops, Ryan, 2011. We were in Albuquerque mm-hmm. and a guy came up to us at the end of the event. And he said, I use Craigslist <laughs> as my storage locker. Yeah. I said, oh, I didn't know they did storage lockers on Craigslist. He's like, no, no, no. Like, if I have a chainsaw and I don't need it anymore, I just put it in my storage locker. It's Craigslist. I put it up there for 50 bucks. Someone else gets it. And next time I need a chainsaw, I go to Craigslist, find for one that's about 50 bucks. (laughs) I go get it from my storage locker two years later or whatever it is when I need it. Mm -hmm. And I put it back out there again. And that way I don't have to store it. I don't have to hold on to it. I don't have to think about the thing. I use it so infrequently I let someone else handle it, but I'll always have access to it. Mm. Stuff like that is cultural knowledge. And when I say cultural knowledge, I'm not talking about race. I'm not talking about ethnicity. I'm not talking about politics or I'm, I'm talking about things that you pick up from your environment of family and friends. This kind of knowledge can be transferred. It can be shared. And it's one of the most powerful ways we have to change the world. So for somebody that just focuses on politics, here's my hypothetical example I use. Let's assume that the only way we're going to experience any real change is through politics. Hmm. And let's assume the only way it's really going to happen is if we get just like a truly great president. Hmm. What if that truly great president lives somewhere in a poor neighborhood with a broken home and doesn't even believe in themselves, doesn't even know how to translate their problems into questions so that they can learn new things? They're not very good at reading and they're constantly stressed out and worried about other things that they're not doing too well at school. But what if it's your calling in life to do something like, I don't know, sign up for the Big Brother, Big Sister program, Mm. right? And spend a couple hours a week with that future president who doesn't even believe in themselves right now because we all know that our destiny doesn't have to be determined by our history. And you become the person to take that individual outside of their neighborhood and show them a bigger world. You become the person to bring them into a library for the first time because they don't know who their father is or they don't have anybody that has the time to bring them to the library. You become the person that teaches them how to balance a checkbook. And when they go on to do something great that changes the world, you can be like every other individual in the story of people who have changed the world. You can say, I know the joy of sowing a small seed of positivity, of creativity, of hope in that person's life. I think that kind of change is far more possible and accessible to all of us than we realize. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, it goes a lot further than a vote, especially when you consider where you live. Yeah, what you're talking about is having access to parental figures in that sense. I grew up without a father and I grew up with a a relatively absentee mother. She had alcohol problems and 
And so there was a lot of sort of trauma associated with that. And I certainly would have benefited from access to some sort of mentor when I was younger. I think it would have helped a lot of heartache that I experienced in my teens and 20s had I had access to someone through a, you know, the Big Brother program, Big Sister program, something like that. And, and so what we're talking about here is you don't have to have the thing the way you think you should have it. When we're talking about actual things, when we're talking about the library of things, like, yes, you can go to my local library and check out toys. How awesome would that have been when we were young, Ryan? Right. With, with not many toys, mm-hmm. but if you had access to them, that's all you wanted as a kid anyway. Mm-hmm. You didn't care about hoarding it, holding on to it. Now, I developed OCD when I was young, so I, I, I did start to confuse mm-hmm. holding on to a thing with the joy I thought that thing would bring me, with safety. Right. But if I simply had abundant access without the ownership, then I could have understood what enough was. Maybe I wouldn't have developed that that OCD along the way. Mm. Uh, Mm. Other things that you can uh, get from the Library of Things movement, objects that include, oh, God, taxidermied animals, museum passes or Santa Claus suits. Hey. We could have TK Claus come in this. Uh... You, remember, you remember Santa Claus? Yes, yes. Oh, I miss him so much. I miss him so much. Uh, I'll tell you a story real quick. Uh, we were, uh, my brother and I were walking through the town mall, Middletown, Ohio. This had to be 1995. I was 14. He was, no, it was at 94 because I he was 14. I was 13. And my brother's black and we're walking through this mall together and it, it's hopping. It's busy. It's the Christmas time of year. Right. Mm-hmm. And Santa Claus sits in the middle there and someone walks at Drome, my brother, who looked like he was 30 year old Denzel Washington at mm-hmm. age 14. <laughs> yeah. He someone walks up to him, and says, hey, uh, our Santa Claus called off today. And uh, uh, would you like to be Santa Claus? They asked Jerome to be Santa Claus. <laughs> yes, oh, I love this. <laughs> and Jerome just really loved messing with people yeah. all the time. Uh-huh. He looks at the guy, he goes, man, Santa Claus ain't black. <laughs> 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 and you could see the mall worker just very confused. Like, like am I going to argue with this guy? <laughs> right. Or is he going to be Santa Claus or not? Yeah. I can't believe he didn't do it. <laughs> that would have been Dude, awesome. That would have been amazing. <laughs> oh man. No, our, uh, at our old corporation, um, we would dress someone up as Santa Claus and, uh, we would just hand out random, you know, things, you know, you get the, you get the sales staff all pumped up and excited for Christmas. Anyway, um, we had, we had Santa Claus, which is our good friend, Stan Dukes. And, um, he's like six, seven, like he's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah. God rest his soul. But man, that was that Santa Claus was my favorite Santa Claus I've ever seen in my life. He was great. Especially because he came out, he was like his eyes, he was like, ho, ho, ho. He's like, is anyone gonna buy this? <laughs> and we all bought it. <laughs> Danny, get the screen ready. Amass it or trash it is our next segment. And originally I didn't have an amass it or trash it. You could you can send yours, by the way. Just send a picture to podcast at the minimalists.com. Do you have an item that you're considering, you're contemplating letting go of? We will help you decide. Amass it, keep it, or, or trash it, let it go. I really feel like I want to encourage people to send in some very funny pictures. <laughs> Whatever you got, show us, show us what you got. 
I can't promise you it'll make it out of the podcast, but no, po- podcast I want to see it Yeah. And so I was at this weekend, last weekend, I was at the uh, Design Within Reach uh, outlet store. Bex mm. and I have been looking for a little bowl for her to put on the counter of our bathroom so she can put her earrings in it, an aesthetically pleasing bowl to put her earrings in because she has a problem with almost losing things down the drain mm. all the time. And so we're looking for something that would help solve that problem, but something that's also a beautiful art object. So we're willing to wait till we find the one that we feel is appropriate for our home. We're at the Design Within a Reach outlet. They have this set of bowls. It's two little bowls and they, they go together. They're beautiful. One of them has a little chip in it, which for me, you know, that would drive me crazy. But for her, it's like, oh, it's wabi-sabi, right? It's, it's the art. Art, of, art of imperfection, right? Yeah, man. Patina. And, <laughs> and so I, I grabbed and we're like, yes, this is it. We finally found they only had the two. They go together. Mm. They buy, you buy them as a set, taking them up to the register. And there's a really comfortable chair I want to go sit in. So I go sit in the chair and then I sit in the chair and, and one of the bowls just slips out of my hand. <laughs> one of the little dishes and it the loudest sound you could and it's in this warehouse giant room it sounded like it was 20 times larger than what it was that's something i would do so if you're <laughs> yeah no <laughs> it's something i would uh-huh, never do you pulled a nicodemus <laughs> <laughs> he haunts me <laughs> and so if you're watching the video version of this right now you'll see a picture above my left shoulder mm-hmm. and this picture <laughs> is not of the specific dish but it's very very similar to what we had and it just shattered everywhere. Mm. And so I decided, oh, no, I have to do both. I have to amass it. I have to take responsibility for the thing I broke. Right. And then I have to trash it afterward because it was so shattered that it wasn't fixable. It wasn't like, I'm going to glue this back. Because wabi-sabi, that's where it comes from. Mm-hmm. It's like someone breaks a plate in half and then you glue it and it makes that imperfection, makes it more beautiful, makes it unique. No, this was shattered. It mm. was beyond repair. So mm. I needed to amass it and trash it. I get up to the counter and this nice lady's like, oh, did it break? I'm like, yeah, but I, I still need to pay for it. She's like, oh, honey, don't even worry about it. Mm-mm-mm-mm. And so she trashed it for me. I didn't have to amass it. Did you get the other bowl? No, they were a set. And so, oh, like, yeah, it gotcha. wouldn't have made sense to just buy one. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I uh, let it go <laughs> before I even purchased it. <laughs> Send us your ambassador, trash it. The podcast at theminimalists.com. Looking forward to talking to you about holding on to things or letting them go. I'm changing a segment title for this one. We were calling this Checkout Line Wisdom, but we kept talking about impulse purchases. And so I just want to change the segment to impulse purchases. I was at a local store recently, and that's the picture you're going to see here above my left shoulder if you're watching the video version, if you're a subscriber to the video podcast. If not, I'll still describe it to you. So this is a package (laughs) right at the checkout line of where I was at this um, department store. Mm -hmm. In fact, we were walking through there as a shortcut to get where we were going. And I really felt like I was back in the 90s. But right at the checkout line, there was this package. And on it, it says cat butt magnets. I'm not going to lie. Out of this whole page that we have right here of our segments. I could not stop. What the hell is our cat butts? I knew exactly. I'm so glad we finally made it here. <laughs> so glad. I knew exactly what they were because I've definitely bought those as a gift before and considered bringing them into my home years ago. Hey, those are some They're cute. Quirky. Those are some cute kitty butts. They are. Wait, mm-hmm. what are cat butt 
So they're, they're right there. They're like magnets, like what you could put on your fridge, but it's just the back half of a feline. And you just look how cute those kitty butts button. are. Man, they can sell anything. Look yes, how cute yes, those kitty can. butts are. I used to own these. Can you please tell us why? I bought them as a gift for my ex-wife. She loved ma- fridge magnets. Yeah. She loved cats. Yeah. yeah. I, I saw them at a Goodwill. And you thought it was like funny? Like she oh, laughed. I paid full price for mine. I, not, <laughs> I knew she'd love them. Not just laugh. She absolutely loved them. Yeah. Oh, okay. And that, that is our problem that we, right. we, and so. <laughs> Each is own? Yeah. I'm, and not the problem that you would like these things, but now all of a sudden we, um, we buy a thing because we feel like we need it, even though two minutes ago, I didn't even know it existed. Yeah. And instead of impulse pur- purchase, in a way, this is a repulsive purchase. Right. I was going to say, you looking at those is like, why oh. would you even make these? Yeah, I was doing this. We went to this 90-minute nature meditation last night. And one of the invitations, it was a 12-minute thing. It was go out on the grounds and find five objects that represent connection. And it could be anything. It could be a leaf. It could be an apple. It could be a stick. It could be a plastic straw. Mm. Someone left on the ground. Whatever you want. And they called it objects of connection. Mm. And as I was picking up these things. I spent my 12 minutes going through and Bex was there. She was picking up her her handful of things and you bring it back in. You set it on this mat and you have these five objects there. And I had uh, a piece of wood, a stick, a green apple, a leaf, and a rock. And I saw all, all five of those things and it looked like art. It was truly beautiful. In, in our home, we do, in fact, a, a couple of weeks ago, we did the picture of me where I was standing in front of my shelf with some objects. We really enjoy having a few artistic objects that add some aesthetics and some personality to the space. And so I'm not against these cat butts in principle. I think they're aesthetically repulsive, but that's a personal preference of mine, right? Mm-hmm. That's not me <laughs> prescribing that to someone else. And, and saying you shouldn't have these. Mm-hmm. What I noticed, though, is with these beautiful objects that I brought in during the meditation, mm-hmm. I was able to appreciate them without needing to take them home. Mm-hmm. It was one of the most beautiful things I'd ever seen because I connected with these objects. I used these objects to connect. I got to talk to my wife about them afterward mm-hmm. because we were instructed to arrange them however we liked and make it into some sort of art. And for me, it already was art because I had it lined up perfectly. (laughs) And I was like, ah, it already is art. I don't need to change anything about this. And I realized, oh, wait a minute. These objects in our life, they serve a purpose of aesthetic beauty, not a usefulness necessarily. None of those items were useful to me, Mm. but they were all beautiful. And they asked me, why did you pick these objects? as though there was some grand story behind each object. And I picked them because I was compelled by them. Why I was compelled by them, I have no idea. I was merely drawn to them. And so, yes, that is the pernicious thing about the impulse purchases, because we're drawn to these cat butts, which, by the way, are $15.99. What a steal. <laughs> what store? <laughs> and God, I hate fridge magnets. Oh, wow. I have one fridge magnet. Yeah, we have we we did this uh, also when Bex was here on the podcast. We one of the home tour photos. 
we keep one photo on the fridge, but now we rotate it out every few weeks. And so it keeps the fridge photo. Because if it was up to her, she'd have four or five photos on the fridge. If it was up to me, we'd have nothing ever, mm-hmm. no magnet. And so our middle ground is how do we make this interesting, fun, and refreshed mm. from time to time so it doesn't become stale, right? And so we just change one photo again and again and again. And all of a sudden, it's a new life. It's a new story. We get to talk about it. But then very soon after that, we let it go for whatever the next photo is going to be. That's so funny because my fridge magnet is literally a photo. And that's why it's on the fridge. It's of my family. And then every once in a while, like I've got, um, you know, earth, you know, what happens when the big one hits in LA? Like, what are you supposed to do? So like I have, you know, I think that's what's magneted on our fridge. It just says panic on it. It just says yeah. panic. Yes. <laughs> panic and if you have guns just start shooting them (laughs) america a um one important philosophical point about impulse buying i want to say is that impulse buying is determined it's not determined by the amount of time it takes you to make a purchase it's determined by the assumptions that underlie that purchasing decision Mm. it's possible to have a scenario where it doesn't take you a lot of time to decide that you want something. And one of the beautiful things about creativity is that we can surprise one another with what we create. Sometimes you don't know that something is going to enrapture your soul until you see it. What makes you necessary, you necessary, and a world of diversity necessary is that T.K. Coleman, as well as anyone else, doesn't have the ability to perfectly anticipate all the different ways that he could be delighted by other people's creativity. And so there may be a moment where I look at something for the first time and I go, holy smokes, that's amazing. You know, or that solves the problem. And I never would have known that that could exist or could be a possibility until you shared your aesthetic with the world. And I may buy it right away. Mm -hmm. But what makes it an impulse buy? The assumption that I have about it. An assumption like I can't live without it. An assumption like I need. Mm -hmm. An assumption like, I'm purchasing from a place of lack where I would be devoid of fulfillment if I didn't buy it. Those are the things that makes it impulse buy. I'll be better if I have it. There you go. And I just wanted to make that distinction, not as a rebuttal to what you said, but, but just to, to let people know it's, it's okay to be surprised by creativity. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. Love that, man. Another segment we have here, by the way, you can send us your impulse purchases. Are you in a checkout line right now listening to this? Maybe snap a photo of something they're trying to get you to buy, something you think is absurd, or maybe something you're actually, oh man, I didn't know, I didn't know they had this, and and now I really, really want it. Dude, I was at this store, they had like Blu-rays of Sonic the of Sonic 2 mm-hmm. for sale on Blu-ray, uh-huh. which is so weird to me. And like, I really wanted to ask the cashier, I'm like, how many of these have you actually sold <laughs> today or Take this week? Take a picture of that next time. Yeah, Send it to podcast at theminimalists.com. I will do that. All right. Uh, next segment is advertisements suck. What is our sucky ad today? We're actually going to have Malabama read this one for us. So let's set, set this up. Professor Sean got an email. He runs our side project with us. It's called Minimalism Life. You can find more about that at minimalism.com. And uh, we publish essays about minimalism in travel, minimalism in design, and minimalism in well-being, minimalism.com. And someone sent you this solicitation email. Now, this isn't truly an advertisement. An advertisement is not a solicitation. This was just so bad that we wanted to point it out on the podcast. So an advertisement would be someone 
paying to advertise to someone else's audience, using them as a proxy to announce your product or service. Mm-hmm. We don't think advertisements are bad or immoral or wrong. We merely think that they are often gross. And so, in fact, we got another gross one I think we're going to talk about next week, hopefully. But let's read this one. Malabama, what did they write into the general email box over at minimalism.com? Interesting angle. <laughs> Greetings, Mr. Minimalism. <laughs> That's how I got Josh. Are you interested in an interesting angle? <laughs> hey, don't ever call me Mr. Minimalism. People call you that all the time. <laughs> that sounds like a Superman villain. Oh my Good God. evening, Mr. Minimalism. Mr. Minimalism. All right, go, go, go. Hey, I liked your recent contact about content about wait, we are what we desire. I can see how that can be really useful to your target audience. By the way, I'm an email copywriter, so as I was going over your page, I came up with this interesting new idea, specifically aimed at digital business coaches. It should be extremely powerful for you. That can help drive your sales five to ten times. I actually thought I should make a PDF for you instead of typing out a long email. I hope you have the capacity to take on new clients and convert more sales. Let me know by replying yes or no to this email, and I will send you the file. Always the best. Cole. Thanks, Cole. Do you? I stopped responding. I get, I get one or two of these a day. Yeah. Oh, I really like. It. Let's partner. It's like, do you have any idea how many people are asking to partner? Yeah. <laughs> or like asking to advertise on our website. Do you still respond to these? It depends on what it is. Okay. Um, I just, I just, I just start putting them in spam. Usually, it's I get emails people looking to advertise with us. Oh yeah. Those are Which, my favorite to reply to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just respond with advertisements suck. Yeah. That's yes. A, that is true. I do respond. You taught me that one. Just and, contact me at five 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 five. But I'll tell you that I got um, when I talked to Liver King. Yes, it was the best solicitation I've ever received. Yeah, it was a DM from him. Yeah, and and he just simply said, "I'm humbly requesting an invite into your ecosystem. <laughs> Let's do some goddamn good in this world." That's all it said. It's good. And I was like, oh, "That's good." How refreshing is this? Yeah. It wasn't like. Hey, I'm going to send you a long email and talk about how short the email is. And by the way, now there's a PDF attached to it that I'm forced to read. People are so freaking inconsiderate. That's the problem. Mm. They want to fill our inbox with bland natterings because they want something from us. Mm. And so therefore, they feel entitled to our time. An email, this asymmetrical approach toward communicating Mm -hmm. has emboldened people to essentially spam the hell out of everyone. Whereas that person previously would have been considered inept at at the very least and incredibly rude. If you're, you're just stopping them. It's like the, just unaware the mall barkers, right? Right. I remember often I would sign leases at malls back in my corporate days Mm -hmm. and they would have a no barking clause in the least because it became such a problem in the Audis where people, hey, uh, tell me about your cell phone service or whatever, and they're stopping you in the, in the mall, mall. Yeah. Making the experience worse. This person, Mr. Minimalism or whatever, is making my email experience where it makes me dread getting in the email, not because I dislike communicating with people, mm. but because of things like this that show up in the inbox constantly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's oh, yeah. funny because as a former sales guy, I I totally understand the if you don't ask for it, you won't know. 
So like I do, I understand where they're coming from, but yeah, in the same token, it's like, um, there, there is, there is an unawareness that I feel every time I get it. Cause basically the email I get is, Hey, you have an audience. How can I make money with you? Yeah. And, and you can also make money with me too. That's every single let's partner email. Mm-hmm. You have an audience. I want to make money off of it, but I also want you to make money off of it too. And to me, that's just as the minimalist, it seems like a very unaware thing to, to email us about. Especially if you're coming to us asking us to advertise, because that yep. tells me you did no research whatsoever. Yeah, and we're not yeah. listening to a single episode. Right. And we're not against money, but money is not the number one thing. And like that, but that's what they pitch. That's like their, that's their hook. Oh, I've been doing some really good affiliate stuff lately with people and maybe you could get on board with it. And it's like, well, but but what are we giving our audience besides this, you know, janky product you're offering? That's why, like what you're talking about the liver king, it sounds, I mean, yeah, of course money's going to be involved, but he's like, hey, there's more to it than just money. Like there's actually some good we can do. Yeah, and I think for him, money was not a point whatsoever, right? Right. Because money becomes a byproduct yes. of what he said, doing some goddamn good in the world. Reach. Like that is a, money then becomes a byproduct. What he's really saying is, hey, let's try to find ways to add value to other people's lives together. Now, whether or not that would ever come to fruition, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I was overjoyed. When I talked to him on the phone, I even told him, I said, hey, man, I get, I've gotten thousands, thousands mm-hmm. of pitches. Yours was the most sincere. I love it. The, I appreciated the brevity, mm-hmm. the kindness, and you understand what Ryan and TK and Mallory and Ryan, all of us are trying to do mm-hmm. here, right? Um, we are trying to add value to other people's lives, right? Yes. And we're not saying no to money along the way, mm-hmm. but that is not even part of the initial equation. Dude, this is like, if you're listening to this and you want to partner with the minimalists, don't send us a freaking email about SEO. Don't send us an email about digital uh, marketing. Don't send us an email on 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 a coaching business. It's like, like, what do you want to, what do you want to do for the world? Like that, that, that I'll listen to. What do you want me to help you do for the world? I'll help you with that, but don't hit me up. Oh, you know what drives me crazy? Oh, I produce podcasts. I'd be interested in producing yours. It's, you clearly don't listen to our podcast. Like, you know, we have several people working on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Rant over. TK thoughts? <laughs> no, man, I think it's good. I, I think, um, I think one one of the challenges of life is that it's it's easy to be miseducated about um, how to get what you want or need. You know, there, there's nothing wrong with having a skill that you want to share with people, but it's very easy to get the communication wrong. It's very easy to come off as condescending or insulting or inconsiderate, even if you may not intend to be. It reminds me of that Mad TV skit. It's, it's uh, can I get your number? And it's this guy in, in the movies and he sees a girl that he finds attractive and just completely oblivious to the fact that we're in a theater. She's watching a movie. She paid money to be here. She's trying to focus. Nobody else is talking. He's just so moved by her beauty. He's like, can I get your number? Can I get your number? It's all about me, 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 me. It's all about me, 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 me. And there's nothing wrong with the desire to get to know this beautiful woman, but it's hey, you're going about this in a way that's not going to be of any assistance to you, right? Um, It's not only inconsiderate of her, but even with the best intentions in the world, this is inconsiderate to your own true needs. Um, And sometimes people just have 
good intentions, but just really bad execution. And when, when I look at this, this email, I, I think first, like in the first couple of lines, th- 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 there was a comment that said, I can see how your, how this would be useful for your target audience, right? Mm-hmm. Just that change in wording from that to something like, hey, I can see why a lot of people find value in what you had to say. I can see why that idea changes a lot of people's lives because that's what it means for your target audience to find something useful. It means there are people in the world that are listening to you and they found something that you had to say to be a positive force in their lives. And you can just say, hey, I can see why, you know, there are people out there that really benefited from what you had to say. But the way it was worded makes it sound a little condescending. And I don't even assume that that was an effort to be condescending. No. Um, this is, this is something that I've worked with students a lot in terms of like training them for job interviews. And one, one of the things I've had to teach is when you go to a job interview, don't make that company you're interviewing for feel like a number. Don't, don't signal to them that you're someone who just wants a job, any job, but make them feel like a company that you'd actually like to work for. And how do you do that? Before going to that interview, take 15 minutes of your time to just go to their website look at their mission statement, click on the staff page and just look at the people who work there. Just spend a few minutes looking around, know what the product is, know something basic about the customer base. And then when you go in, instead of saying, I need a job, say, I've always had a passion for X and I noticed that your your company is in the business of solving these kinds of problems for these kinds of customers. And here's how I would love to help you solve those problems more effectively. Here's how I would love to make your job easier. It makes that company feel special and they want to hire you. And then you're in the position of power to say yes or no to the opportunity. But sometimes we we're so desperate. We're so like adamant about getting what we want that we neglect to speak to the other party in a way that reflects the language of their own value system. And that's unfortunate. So I hope I hope uh, for the people that are listening, whether it's the person that wrote the letter or somebody else, um, that um, that they've learned something valuable about the power of personalizing. Yeah. 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 And, and sometimes that extra day of work, even, I would often encourage people when Ryan and I worked in the corporate world, and I had someone who worked for me and they were applying for a promotion or they're uh, uh, applying for a different division or whatever, go spend half a day in that store. See what the customer experience is like. See what it's like working with those coworkers. Then you show up for the interview and it's like, oh yeah, yeah, I was spending, uh, I spent half a day last Wednesday in your store just watching your customers and seeing what, what they were struggling with. No one else is doing that. All of a sudden you've set yourself apart significantly because you're understanding the problems that that business is trying to solve. You can send your sucky ads to us, podcast at theminimalists.com. Please don't send us uh, emails and stuff like this. Send us pictures of ads that you see that are just terrible ads. See previous episodes, for examples, of some of those terrible ads. You'll see them up here on the screen above my left shoulder on the future episodes. Another segment we got here, obsolete objects. These are some objects that your life might be, well, better without or at least be fine without one of these objects. Now, this one's from Alabama, and maybe we can argue about this, Alabama. <laughs> you have said in your life, the dryer, the clothes dryer mm. is now obsolete. It, yes. So when I moved out here, admittedly, it was everything that could fit in my car. And I did bring a washboard and a drying rack that we already owned because I knew I was going to be staying somewhere that didn't have a washing machine. So I was like, okay, no problem. It's a transitionary thing. And then I just never used a dryer because here's the thing. 
as somebody who grew up having access to a washer and dryer in the home, didn't need to be fancy, just needed to work. I'm not used to not having that there. I'm not used to going to a laundromat and bringing quarters. Quarters are wildly inconvenient. I hate having cash money on me. And I don't have a bank out here. I just have to go to a random bank and say, hey, can you swap this out for quarters? And I hated trying to collect and scrounge up like loose change between me and my husband and like digging in the bottom of the car, whatever, just to dry my clothes when I already had a clothes drying rack to do that. My grandmother was really big about this. She still to this day has a washer and dryer, but hangs her clothes. She said it's much better for your clothes. Why I think about it is kind of like with hair, like when women style their hair, if you're using a lot of heat, it's going to wear down the hair over time. It's the same thing with the fibers in your clothes. It is actually better for you to hang dry them so you don't expose them to a lot of that heat damage. Now, granted, things like towels and sheets, yes, I'll absolutely use that in the dryer, but I'm not washing those, you know, twice a week like I am my clothes. I think it's perspectival, but those get really, really heavy when they're wet. It's very sexist of you to assume that it's only women who have long hair, <laughs> heated problems, but... <clears throat> Do you use a curling iron? <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> Clearly. No, no, girl, that's natural no, I curls. Used to, I used to dry my hair all the time. Did with, you used to flat iron it, though? Used to flat iron it. Yes, that's and, true. And used to dry it. And oh, wow. long story short, Oya, the amazing s- stylist? What would you... What, what do you... Hairdress? She's not a hairdresser. I just call her Oya. I just call her Oya. <laughs> She's amazing and cuts my hair. Uh, But yeah, she was like... She's like, dude, you got to stop using heat on your hair. It's I'm like, why? And she like showed me my hair. And she's like, snap. She's like, that's why. Stop doing it. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. Although here's what I'll say. I lived, the last apartment I lived in for the last five years did not have a washer and dryer. And so I had a community, go to the community washer and dryer and bring quarters. Or eventually they had like this app you could use in your phone, oh, which broke so half the time. No. And so like. It would you would load the money and then it wouldn't work on the machine and and you're like now I have to go get quarters and it was a real pain but now the house that we bought has a washer and dryer and I forgot about that luxury mm-hmm. a few weeks ago we did one of the obsolete objects was a dishwasher I for me it's still obsolete mm. our kitchen has one and I have never once used it mm. and I haven't used one in my entire life I mean I think. When I my during my first marriage, my former spouse used one occasionally, but mm-hmm. I've always just yeah. Josh didn't do no dishes. <laughs> <laughs> I still do the dishes now. I'm just never putting them in a dishwasher because I actually do the dishes, right? Yeah. No, I do appreciate what what I appreciated about living with you was the when you're done with the bowl, wash it and put it in the dryer, and I was just like the drying a, rack, drying rack. Sorry, yeah. yeah. Don't put it in the dryer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's just broken the dish- glass in the dryer. No the wonder it's obsolete. <laughs> yeah, that's how he got the broken bowl, huh? That's how he got the broken bowl. <laughs> what a weird concept, though. I'm like, oh, yeah, if you clean as you go, you don't have as much to clean. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, and I, I feel that way about having a washer and dryer now is it allows us to do laundry probably more frequently. The same number of loads of laundry, but like, it's just spread out throughout the week. So I'm not waiting 10 days. And it's also making me realize, Mal, that I owned the appropriate amount of clothes for when I lived in the apartment. I probably own too many clothes now. Hmm. Because if I have like, say I have, I don't know, nine or 10 t-shirts. Mm-hmm. But if I'm doing laundry twice a week, do I need 10 t-shirts still? And it's like, not, I'm not going to get rid of them. I'll still cycle through them, but I won't replace them if they 
go bad because I don't need to now because I'm not holding out and waiting for laundry day in order to do to do that laundry. So what is obsolete for one person may not be obsolete for another. Speaking of T-shirts, TK, do you think I would look cool with my sleeves rolled up like that? You think I could pull that (laughs) off? You think I pull it off? Yeah. You're an aging rock guitarist. Yeah, you can totally pull it off. <laughs> well, put I the mean, the was like eight years old, man. <laughs> <I know. laughs> now you're just an old now rock guitarist. Now I'm just guitarist. an old rock guitarist. Yeah, I mean, totally not with those did. sleeves. Not with those tight-ass sleeves you See, have. See, I right? knew I should. I should have asked, asked Josh. I should not have asked TK. <laughs> no, man, I thought it looked good. Get out of here. He just don't want you to compete with his, <laughs> with his role. What is that, an extra medium? <laughs> <laughs> He's trying to minimize it's, the competition. It's a tall medium, Josh. Let's move on to the Friday Photo Friday Home Tour, little segment we do each week. We send you the Friday before we send you a photo of one of our living spaces. This is where I have coffee every morning. What did I title this? Oh, yeah. Wild comma life. We when we bought this home, there was one giant problem. You see all the plants that are around the home. If you're watching the video version, you can uh, you'll see it above my left shoulder here. But we have all these overgrown plants. Now, that wasn't the problem we bought it. They weren't all overgrown and they're dying. As you can see in this photo, all these plants are dying. We actually have to remove all the plants because we can't have water near the base of the house. The, the crawl space was flooded and it was mm. going to cause tremendous problems for the foundation, mm. for, yeah, there was going to be mold, mildew, all these other things. We had to put in a sump pump and, oh, the joys of home ownership, right? But part of that also meant we couldn't keep all the plants next to the house. Mm. And so... I have come to grips with the, like, I like the way they look when we bought the house, but I can't have them now. Mm. I can't have them because they would create more problems in my life. And what a metaphor that is. So for this week's home tour, you're seeing a, a look of the patio that I sit on every morning with Bex and we have coffee together and we usually read or have a, a conversation. But now that these plants are overgrown and dying, we have realized we're, we have to remove all of them at this point because we can't keep watering them. It's going to ruin something that we care about. But isn't that true for many of the things that we bring into our life? Mm-hmm. They ruin the things we care about because of unforeseen circumstances. Yeah. But I like having it. Mm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's the attitude. I, I like having it and I'm willing to suffer. Or I'm willing to ignore the future consequence of this. Because if we hadn't addressed the crawl space and just let it be two years from now, it would have been a problem right away. Five years from now, it would have been a cesspool of of mold and toxic pollution. Mm -hmm. And it would have been a much bigger problem that a simple sump pump wouldn't have dealt with. So let's not exacerbate the problem by keeping these plants here. We're going to tear them up. We'll put some DG down. And we'll have a, a dirt walkway there. Mm-hmm. And it'll be just fine. It'll be just beautiful. But without all the without all the turmoil of the flooding. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. There, there's kind of a um, a loyalty to the past that that happens in situations like these that make it hard for us to let go. And, 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 it, and it's sort of, there's sort of an assumption at work that says, you know, because my life might have felt less enjoyable without this in the past, it's also going to be less enjoyable without it in the future. We're, we're, we're taking the joy that something brought us in the past and we're projecting it onto the future by saying, because it brought me joy yesterday, 
its absence will produce misery in my tomorrow. And that creates this kind of like unhealthy, self-defeating loyalty to the past. And you have to give yourself permission to let these things play the role in your lives and in your story that they're designed to play. And um, every chapter has to be closed. It, it served its purpose. It's played its story. And kudos to you for being able to let it go. And I hope you can inspire somebody else to do similar things. It's beautiful as it was, but that doesn't mean that the next thing won't also be beautiful. I don't need to equate them. I don't need to mm -hmm. compare them. Yep. I don't need to say, well, I, now I need something that's going to be more beautiful. No, I'm letting that go. Whatever I do going forward will be what is more appropriate for the now. Let's move on mm -hmm. to or added value. Actually, you know what? Let's check in with the Patreon live stream real quick. Give me a question from the live stream, Alabama. We have a question from Stephanie. How do you deal with your OCD, which creates tension with others when they don't do things the same as you? Stephanie, I look at my OCD not as a weakness, but as a superpower. Mm -hmm. It's what we were talking about earlier with respect to my mom, this didn't happen to me. I'm not a victim of my obsessive compulsive disorder. I've been diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder. I have a pretty, I don't know, moderate level of OCD. It's not really low, but it, it, it bothers me all the time. I'm constantly annoyed by my OCD. I have the desire. I'm much more obsessive than I am compulsive. I'm not like touching doorknobs three times. And if I was, that'd be fine too. But I'm constantly neurosing over the things generally the things that I can't change, but also the things that I could have changed in the past that I didn't change, right? And so it create it can create a spiral, right? Especially when I approach it as though OCD is a bad thing, right? But if I look at it as a superpower, what does that mean? Uh, yes, OCD, uh, there's some sort of kryptonite there. The annoyance is my, my kryptonite, right? But Superman had all these other powers as well because he had that the, the allergy to kryptonite. And so I will say this. Yes, I have obsessive compulsive disorder, but it has produced so many amazing things in my life. It's the attention to detail is unlike anyone else I know, right? And I will neurose over things that actually helps me create art for the world. The reason that this podcast does so well, not statistically, but does so well in terms of you know, bringing everything together. My OCD is the glue for the podcast. And so, Stephanie, your question is, your OCD might drive other people crazy? Yes. I don't use it to batter other people. I used to, not knowing that I was, because I, I thought this is the way the world should be. And if we all just work to fix it, mm -hmm. no, I began to realize that this is the way that I would like the world to be. This is how I would like to shape the world. But then I also realized if I got full control over everything, because that's all OCD is, it's a coping mechanism to try to regain some control because we think through that control, we're going to get our freedom. But if I have complete control over everything, that's actually taking everyone else's freedom away. So the only way that I move forward with it is by using it as a superpower to change the details of the things that I can change. And also it alerts me of the things that I cannot change. And I just have to let that go. How do I let it go? I just stop clinging to it. Yeah. It's funny. Cause she said, yeah. What did she say about 
how it causes tension in relationships. And mm-hmm. it's funny because I, you know, I can look at uh, even before the minimalists. I mean, you've always been OCD. And I remember being in your room in high school mm-hmm. and like, you know, a CD, I'd look at a CD and then put it in the wrong spot or something. And then you'd like look at me and be like, you're messing with me, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Doing this on purpose, aren't you? Which maybe sometimes I was, but <laughs> but I remember when I wasn't doing things on purpose. I re- I remember like feeling a little guilty, like uh, oh, why don't I see the world that way? Why don't I care about that thing? Why don't I care about how that looks or how that's organized or whatever? I didn't. Pacha did the same thing. He was OCD as, as OCD as you, and uh, Spartanus too. Like he had his apartments like hardly ever had anything in it. Anyway, um, now I look at it and. There's no tension with me and someone who has OCD. Like that is that is a Josh problem. Now I love Josh and I'm going to help him with this problem if I can. So that's how I look at it now. I don't look, I don't feel bad because I overlook something. It's more about like, oh, Josh caught this thing. This is annoying him. He wants help with it. I'm going to help him with it. But like to say that it creates tension with other people, I would, I would just like flip that a little bit and say, it creates tension with yourself and other people. Absolutely. And, and you've already talked about how you've gotten, you've, you've gotten past like that affecting the relationship in a bad way. Yeah. yeah. Realizing that it is not you and the things that you are doing that is making me anxious, right? Mm-hmm. It's my expectation of what you're doing and what you should be doing mm-hmm. that makes me anxious. Yeah. And as soon as I see that, it's not about, renouncing the expectation, I see how absurd it is and it begins to dissipate on its own. Right. You know, um, when, when I think about what does it mean to, to be valuable or to have something to offer, I, I think about it as having two elements. One is there's something useful that you can do. But the other element is it's not so commonplace so as to be redundant or easily replaceable. What that means is if you have value in any situation, that means you're going to possess sensitivities that everybody else doesn't share. That's what makes you valuable. That's what it feels like to be valuable. And that feels like tension. So that tension that you feel is evidence of your value. It's just a matter of figuring out how do you sort that out in your experience. And one, one of the ways, one, one of the things that we all have to figure out when it comes to our superpowers is how do we give ourselves the permission to contribute value to the world while giving other people the freedom to express appreciation for that in whatever way is best for them or most natural to them. We need people who obsess over the details. But the funny thing about details is that we tend not to appreciate them until they're absent. It's kind of like going to a restaurant and if the music is right, you're not going to ask to see the manager and say, I just want to let you know the background music is so good. You're not going to tell the person you're having dinner with, oh, don't you just feel so grateful for how good the background music is and how great the art is? Because if they get it right, you're not going to notice. It's like good acting. If I notice, something's wrong, Yeah. right? The best acting is when I don't talk about the acting and I talk about the story. I talk about that character like I hate him and I talk about him like he's a real mm. person. That's how you know you did a good job, right? But if it's missing then I'm complaining. I don't know why. I, I didn't have a good experience. I don't know why. And it's because there was some details missing. And so with, and when it comes to your superpower, a lot of the value that you add, it's something that people appreciate. But they don't, because they don't have your same sensitivity, they're not going to say it when you get it right. 
They're only going to comment on it when you get it wrong. And I think it, I think it's, it's helpful to be able to understand that so that you can prepare for that. Um, because you're probably going to get more criticism than praise because your gift is only noticeable when there's something off. But express your gift with the confidence of knowing that people truly do value it. Just don't ask them to praise you for it. Just don't ask them to be the same way. Just bring what it is you have, introduce what it is you're sensitive to, and trust that you're making the world better in that way. That's beautiful. All right, y'all, let's move on to our added value segment. Before we get to that, real quick, right here, right now, here's one thing that's going on in the life of the minimalist. We've changed the name of our newsletter. It used to be the Simple Sunday Newsletter. We found that we were sending it out on Wednesdays or Thursdays sometime. <laughs> so Josh's OCD, of course, kicked in. <laughs> it made me angry. <laughs> and, and so we just simply called it. You're the one who schedules it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I told you that's the whole this whole episode's been about. We've been doing a private podcast for three hours now, and mm-hmm. it is merely me who angers me always. Mm-hmm. PK, you don't have the power to anger me. I'm taking back the power, and now. <sighs> I'm still pissed at you, though. <laughs> no, no, no. Tell him why you mad, son. <laughs> All right, we call this the Simple Newsletter now. We simply changed the name to the Simple Newsletter. You can sign up for it at www.theminimalists.email. You can find it over there, or you can just go to theminimalists.com and enter your email address at the top. Two options there. Every Monday when our episodes come out, we'll send you our show notes in your inbox for free, all of our minimal maxims, all the pithy or pithy stuff that TK is saying. We'll put that there in your inbox. All the links to things that we've mentioned as well. And then on Thursdays, usually, we'll send you something, whether it's a new minimalist writing in in form of an essay, or maybe it is a sample video, five-minute clip from the private podcast, a standalone clip that will add value to your life. Just sign up for the email list over theminimalists.email. You can pick if you want both of those, or maybe you just want the show notes. Maybe you just want the simple newsletter. You get to decide. We respect your inbox like it is a sanctuary. We're not going to send you any nonsense, no ads, no junk, no spam ever. We're very considerate of your inbox. We never sell your information to anyone else either. For our added value this week, I just finished watching... The finale. Better Call Saul. Mm. I love how... Don't spoil it. uh, Yeah. So it's funny. I have been saving it Uh because I hate the cliffhangers. So I've been waiting for it to be done. And it finished while I was in Montana. I didn't really have time to like sit down and like, you know, get some episodes in. But um, anyway, I I love it because you got it. You got it. Yeah. Even great without a TV. So how did you watch Better Call Saul, Milburn? So I don't have internet at home. I don't have a TV at home. Mm -hmm. So what Bex and I would do is I would go to a coffee shop and mm-hmm. download the episode. And on my little 11 inch screen, we would watch. Uh, you look at me like 11 inches is small, right? <laughs> I don't even know what 11 inches looks like, Josh. <laughs> Compared <laughs> to what? <laughs> anyway, here's what I noticed from, and I won't ruin it for you. Here's what I'll say though. It's personally my second favorite show of all time. It's great. I uh, I like that whole universe. And I think people are even now, they're having the avatar syndrome. Remember that? Where people like wanted to be an avatar. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And they, they, they missed the avatar and they wanted to live in the movie. Yeah. I've heard people are saying this now, but oh, I wish I lived in Albuquerque in this universe and I'm going to miss the characters. I totally get missing the characters, mm. right? Yeah. I didn't love the ending. I'm not going to spoil it at all. And some people absolutely loved it. But here's what I'll say about the show. Here's why... 
it was full of verisimilitude for me, which is, mm. is a fancy nerd word that means it felt real. Right. It, yeah, it makes sense. And here's why it felt real. Because in my 20s, I wasted most of my 20s pursuing this image of success. And the Saul Goodman we saw in Breaking Bad was sort of the epitome of this. He was the terminus of it, like gold-plated toilets and giant marble walls. And a lot of it was faux marble. But even if it was real, you realize how unhappy this person is. And all of this accumulation was not masking his discontent. In a way, it was even making him more discontent because the chasing, you know, the root of the word agony, the etymology of the word agony just means to strive. Mm. So the more we strive, like Saul Goodman, strove, mm-hmm. strived, strived. <laughs> <laughs> Can we get a vote on this, Professor Sean? What's the get best participle of strived? Striven. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of my studio. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Sean uh, teaches how to write better with me, uh, the online writing class. Anyway, we uh, uh, what I realized throughout my 20s is I was striving. No wonder I was in so much agony. I mm. couldn't stop striving. And so we often think of striving as a quote unquote good thing. But sometimes, oftentimes, most of the time, one might argue all the time, it can lead to agony. Man, it's so funny because, like, I know where that show is going. Like, if you saw Breaking Bad, you know what he turns into. You have no idea where it's going. That's all I can say. Oh, well, I guess what I'm saying is, is, like, you know the terminus of what Saul Goodman turns into. So how he go? How You he, don't. That's the thing. Hmm. All right, don't, don't, don't say anything else because then I'm going to start right. guessing. No, no yeah. other spoilers, but let's just say you will enjoy it because you'll get to be immersed back into that universe once again. Interesting. Did they do a Marvel thing and do like a parallel universe thing? Different dimension? I have no <laughs> comment. <laughs> All right. That's funny. Hey, uh, one bit of commentary on our Wasting My Twenties Being Successful, just that thing. Yeah. This is one of the greatest fears among teenagers today. The fear that they're going to make a decision that leads to them looking back on their lives one day when they're 30 saying, oh, no, I did the wrong thing. I wasted my life pursuing the wrong thing. And there are a lot of movies and TV shows that have been done where maybe somebody makes a deal with the devil or they they have a genie in the bottle and they're able to see the future. And the moral of these stories is always the same, that when we know too much about the future, we try to prepare for it in the way that seems the most reasonable today, and then we negate the future of all of its meaning. If you had known when you were 20 that you would be a minimalist, that you would have this podcast, that you and Ryan would do this and that, you would have probably said something like, oh, well, since I'm going to do that, let me just prepare for it in this way. Yes. You know, like if, 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 if I had some crystal ball that says, hey, in 10 years, you're going to be a doctor, I would be like, whoa, that's weird. I couldn't have predicted that. Well, I guess I better just go to med school now and start preparing for it because that seems reasonable to me. Right. But what makes a human story interesting is that you get to the future by taking seriously what lies before you today, right? It's, it's the fact that that dream you have today, which isn't going to come true, you think it's going to come true. Mm. You believe that it's going to come true and, and you feel inspired by it. 
And that's what you have to go off of. You can't predict what you're going to like or be interested in when you're 30 or 40 and try to figure out the intellectual puzzle of how to live in a way that that person's going to approve of. You've got to face the reality that's in front of you now and go after the values that you have today, always being open-minded. And when you get to that future and you look back and you judge your past from this higher standard of wisdom, you have an interesting life because you took seriously the preferences, principles, and priorities that you had at that time. Yeah. I I don't know a 30-year-old or 40-year-old or 50 who who doesn't look back at some decade in their life and be like what was I thinking? I mean, yeah. it's it's funny cuz like I would say to that, you know, that high school or you know, young college student like you're going to look you're you're going to be 30 and look back and you're you're going to wish you did it differently. But yeah. But if you can take seriously what you have in front of you, maybe you'll have uh a little bit less critique on your life, but there's like, I don't, I, there, there's probably an exception to this rule. There's probably someone who's like, nope, I, I was born winning and I'm 80 years old. I pretty much won every day of my life, <laughs> made all the right decisions. Great. But that is, that is, that is a, that is a, uh, I want to say it's like a fiction for, for the most part. <laughs> yeah. Like everyone's going to, everyone's going to come across a time where they're like, oh, I should have done it different. And, 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 and that's okay. Yeah. That's part yeah. of it. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm sorry, uh, but no, uh, you know, like if you believe in the possibility of learning, what that means is that at some point in the future, I'm going to know things that I don't know right now. And that means that future knowledge is going to cause me to look back today on all the things that I'm doing and saying and go, ooh, if I could go back and do all that over again, I'd be so much more wise about it. That's necessarily true if I continue to learn and grow. What that means, as much, as crazy as it sounds, that means right here and now, I'm wrong about something and I don't even know that I'm wrong about it. Mm. Right here, right now, there's something that I'm going to look back at on the future and be like, ooh, TK, I hate that you said it that way. Or, oh, TK, you were so off. You were so overconfident about that. That's necessarily true about me today. And I don't know what that is, but I can't live my life in a fear that, you know, I, I can't speak because any given sentence, I might be wrong about it. And I'm going to figure that out in five years and come back and condemn that sentence. I've got to speak as I believe right now. I've got to express myself honestly in accordance with how I think right now and continue to be open to growth in the future. That's our show for today. Simpletons on behalf of Ryan Nicodemus, TK Coleman, Alabama podcast, Sean, Jordan, no more professor, Sean, social Jess, Danny unknown post-production, Peter, Emma, the immigrant and the rest of our team. I'm Joshua Fields Milburn. If you leave here today with just one message, let it be this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Peace. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it